get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Short bad hop, and the Cardinals get a huge break. Crawford was at the ready. It took a kangaroo bounce, and the Cardinals have the tying run aboard. Well, I mean, you do not see bounces like this ever. There's Duvall and DeYoung. Softly hit towards short. One there. The turn to first is in time, and it's a double play. He hit it. After getting ahead 0-2, Duvall. Schmidt will come up with a fresh set of strikes. Couldn't set it up any better. If you want to hand the game to one man, that man is at the plate. Well, time for Paul to snap his old for last 10 with risk. Two on, two out. Dead red back to the mound. Duvall's got it, and the Giants break our hearts again. 4-3 is your final in St. Louis. The Cardinals fall to 27 and 40 on the year. Oh, boy, that's what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Cardinals have lost 10 of their last 13 games. They go 0 for 3 with runners in scoring position once again last night. They are now 9 for 73. 9 for 73 when hitting with runners in scoring position in that 13-game stretch in which the Cardinals have lost 10 of 13. Alex, the last time that the Cardinals lost this many games this early in the season was 19. 1980. It's been a minute since the Cardinals have been this bad, this consistently, this early on in the year. Last night was simply the latest example of it. T-Bone sent us a gif of the uh, Groundhog Day movie. Which I guarantee he's never seen. No chance. No, I've seen that He just found a groundhog and he's like, this is funny. It's the same game over and over and over again. So we could talk about how in the second inning, the Cardinals, based on a hit by pitch, a wild pitch slash pass ball, depending on who you want to blame there. It was on Contreras. Um, And then a defensive play that may or may not have been made. Like, we can talk about that stuff. We can talk about how in the eighth inning, Nolan Arenado, runner on third, not able to drive him home with one out. We can talk about how in the ninth inning, you just heard it right there. Paul Goldschmidt, not able to come through for the team again. We talk about all of those different things. I don't want to start there. Let's start with the actual news that came out of last night because John Denton talked with Wilson Contreras after the game, Alex. And I thought it was symbolic of where this team is at right now. Listen to John Denton. This is him with the morning after earlier today 
talking about his conversation with Wilson Contreras after the Cardinals had lost 10 of their last 13 games. When I was talking to him, he was almost near tears. Uh, he, he sounded like a broken man. He sounded like somebody whose confidence is just like totally gone. You know, it's not like he doesn't think he can get it back, but, you know, he, he's questioning himself now. He says he's never gone through anything like this in his career. That at one point, it feels like the baseball gods are trying to send him a message. So, you know, it was, it was kind of all over the place and you know, almost felt bad for him because, like I said, he was almost near tears. He's definitely questioning himself right now. And you just wonder how much of this is related to, you know, having his position taken away uh, back on May 6th. Alex, Wilson Contreras was the $85 million man in the offseason. He was the guy that the Cardinals said, hey, this is it. It's the pop gun offseason, right? We're going to get one big signing. He's going to come in. He's going to solve all of the issues that have plagued the St. Louis Cardinals in recent years. He's got the energy. He's got the enthusiasm. He's got the bat that we haven't had behind the plate over the last few years while Yachty has been aging out. Now we're going to be good. Well, in his last 28 games, he's batting 120. And in that stretch of games, he's got a 535 OPS. Alex Wilson Contreras looks broken at the plate. A lot of this is bad luck. You can look at any of the underlying numbers. You can see, hey, there's reason to believe it's going to get better. But right now, I think Contreras represents this team. Just like this team, Wilson Contreras has completely lost his way, and he has no idea how to get out of it right now because he's never seen anything like this before at the plate. Yeah, well, in uh, to John Denton's point, I do wonder, like him, if this is correlated to everything that took place of him being taken away from the catcher and then put back into the catching position and just thinking the personal side of it. Imagine being Wilson Contreras who the last couple of years in Chicago. They didn't view you as a catcher. Nobody wanted to trade for you. And then you get this new lease on life in the offseason where a team comes to you and says, we're looking for a catcher, a somebody who can come in and be an everyday catcher for us. And we believe you're that guy. You bring the offense, you bring the fire. We love it. We want you on our team. Here's a contract. He takes it. He comes to spring training. He works his ass off for it. And then a month into the season, it's not, you're not good enough to be the catcher. Don't pitchers believe in you. You're out. And then two weeks later, you're back in. Like I would imagine there's a lot of up and down roller coaster emotions for a Wilson Contreras. So it makes sense that this guy is emotional to the point with John Denton of like, I don't know what's going on anymore. And it is a perfect resemblance of this entire Cardinals team to where every single player in that clubhouse, I would imagine it's like a ghost town. Nobody wants to talk because nobody knows what's can going confirm. on. Yeah. Yep. Can confirm. I've been I, in there before. I, I ran to the corner on Sunday. Nobody's here. I, I've been in there before. <laughs> long room, long I understand room? when there's five media members standing at the door to the locker room and there's nobody around yep. and you stare at each other because nobody knows what's going on. And when nobody has answers, you look towards your leaders for answers. And guess what? Your leaders are getting frustrated. Arenado, Goldschmidt, now Wilson Contreras. You might not think he's a leader because he's a new face, but he's been around the league a long time. And then you go to the pitching side of it. Wayno doesn't have answers. Michaelis doesn't have answers. And the coaching staff doesn't have answers. Welcome to the 2023 Cardinals where frustration is spilling over. And now it's getting vocal, which is the bigger problem. Yeah, and when you look at Contreras, I mean, BK mentioned the underlying stuff for him. Like, everything does look good. Everything shows he should be hitting essentially what you expected from Wilson Contreras when you signed him in the offseason. Problem is, is to BK's point and your point, he's never gone through this before, and it's hard to sell him on. Hey, just look here. Look, man, it's going to happen. At some point, the baseball guys are going to give you the break, and you're going to start hitting like we expect. It's like Brandon telling us the Cardinal season's going to turn around. Yeah, you know, this one's a little different because this one might actually happen. But <laughs> There's I, reason uh, to believe here. That yeah. was just blind faith. <laughs> 
But uh, I, I think that's a tough part for Contreras is I'm sure the coaching staff is telling him, hey, man, this is going to break through. At some point. We know. We things- talked to Ollie. He, he said, hey, we think that this is going to be okay. We were here whenever Matt Carpenter was going yep. through something similar. But there's the trust problem. If, yep. if Wilson Contreras is using the word, I'm losing trust, and maybe he's talking about himself, but you're also losing trust in other people when they tell you, keep doing what you're doing, you're going to get out I, of this. I, maybe I'm reading the reading too much. I think the trust was just the trust in the process of, hey, you're doing everything right. At some point, it's going to break through because it's tough to sell someone on that over time. It was tough for me to continue to say it's just the first month weird issues happening and then the Cardinals continued to lose. So I think that's what's going on with Wilson Wilson Contreras. But with that being said, in my opinion, they're going to have to move him down in the lineup. And and that's why I kind of push back on the notion of maybe because he lost his job at catcher, this is why he's struggling. To be fair, he was struggling before he got taken away from the catcher's job. It's been an all-season-long struggle. And they've given him kind of a push of faith in terms of, hey, you're going to stay at five. We're keeping you right here. Ollie's been pretty adamant of, we're keeping this together. He's going to stay in that five spot. I think it's time, though, that they shake up the lineup. I think it's time in terms of just moving him down. I'd be hitting him seventh tonight, to be honest, and I would keep hitting him seventh until he starts swinging the bat well. And if that means up until August, then you move him up. I don't care when, but he's got to move down the lineup because he is hurting this team right now. All right, let's stick with this. Let's say they shake things up, right? Because I think that's something that has grown frustrating for a lot of fans is that it's starting to feel like Mike Schilt, where Schilt would just copy and paste the lineup from the previous day. He just, let's switch it up a little bit here, right? Let's pull things out of a hat. I remember when we were doing the show with Dan, he was like, hey, pull, go in there, get a hat, put everybody's name on a piece of paper, rip them apart, and then we'll just see who where people end up, right? If that means that you've got tonight Oscar Mercado leading off, so be it, right? Ooh. What would you guys like to see? Not that. <laughs> Fair. What, what does the shakeup look like? And I think this is where things get really difficult. Is like I heard yesterday the fast lane, and God bless him, they were talking about how they, he want, they want to see the best defense out there. And then they talked about how that means Tommy Edmonds should be playing shortstop. Uh, okay. Tommy Edmonds, your best center fielder right now. You don't get better by moving him. Whenever Newt Bar or O'Neill get back, if you want to make that case, totally fair. I could actually get behind that. But right now, your best defensive alignment includes what you're seeing right now, and it probably doesn't include Jordan and Walker and left. It probably has him at DH. But, man, the the other left fielders that you've got available to you right now aren't particularly good defensively either, so just keep putting them out there every day. Let's see what it looks like. But Alex, if you did decide to shake it up, what does that lineup look like for you today? I what are you fir- moving? I think the first thing I'm doing is you're going to go back with Goldie Arenado as a one-two punch at three-four, and I'm only doing that not because it's going to make the the world change for this team and they're going to start winning, but it's going back to something comfortable because that's how they spent all last season together. And the hard part with all of this is what do you do at two and five? And for me, if Lars Newbar was healthy, I think that changes a lot of things. Absolutely. But because he doesn't. Right now, the consideration is either having Nolan Gorman at two and Jordan Walker at five or Jordan Walker at two and Nolan Gorman at five. Just because even though Nolan Gorman has significantly struggled, I think if I were to do it, Jordan Walker would hit number two behind Brendan Donovan because you got a guy who's hitting right now and getting on base. Goldie Arenado, Nolan Gorman hitting five. And like Tebow mentioned, Wilson Contreras is dipping to six or seven in my lineup. I've got Walker batting second in my lineup as well. Tebow, who did you have to? Have I actually two? went Gorman too. I know he's been struggling, but I like the lefty lefty back to back. Either it. way, vehemently disagree. Oh, give me the give me the, give me the yeah, water bottle. 
Oh, like come he doesn't on. even open oh, it. Unbelievable. I, oh, God, come on. You're going to electrocute us all in here. But I, I actually, well, I, I just like the idea of <laughs> the lefty lefty. But I, I don't mind the idea of hitting Walker, too, because I do want your top, some of your top bats higher up in the order. I, I just like him at the five spot right now because he's swinging a good bat. I got faith that Goldie and Arnado are starting to heat up. They're going to be getting on base to where I want him to be the guy that's going to drive that last in. night as they were uh, up in the eighth and ninth inning. It <laughs> really looks like there's a lot up. of, they were heating up there, big boy. A lot of heat. Microwave in this bad boy. It's taken a while. It's frozen. They put those green beans I, in the microwave and said, warm them up. I'm hungry. I've got, do we all have Donovan batting leadoff still? Yes. Yeah. Do we all have Walker either two or three? Two. Two. Oh, I got, got two or three. five. Okay. Damn. Well, I was thinking maybe you could go Goldie or Walker. I, I could see that. No, I just said you're Figuring. not breaking up Goldie okay. Arenado sure, anymore. Sure, sure. Uh, Walker two for me as well. We're in. The, we're on the same line there, Alex. Goldie three, Arenado four. You guys agree? Yeah. Yeah. Carlson five for me. <laughs> this is why Walker's batting fifth in my lineup. I'll go Gorman at five. I why? He's been worse than the other guys that we're talking well, about. I here. Like righty righty lefty. But he's been terrible. <laughs> I just wanted to see him get angry. <laughs> I know he's been terrible, but we were talking last week or last month about how this is the next step in development for this Cardinals team. We're out on him that quick. You were defending Paul DeYoung to me Friday, and well, you're out on Gordon. Did you see what happened high. yesterday? What did yeah, he do yesterday? OPS was high. Yeah, what did he do the other three at-bats? If we're going to be talking about how you have to move Wilson Contreras down in the lineup, the same thing should be true for Nolan Gorman. In his last 20 games, he's batting 165 with a 285 slugging percentage. He struck out 30 times in 67 at-bats. It's a 45% strikeout rate. This is a guy that's killing you in the middle of your order right now. Nolan Gorman needs to be batting like seventh for you right now. The problem is if I move him down, I got to move somebody else up and I don't want anybody batting fifth right now for this team. So let's just leave that. Carlson's been taking, in my opinion, the best at bats of the remaining players. So I'll go ahead and put Carlson batting fifth and I don't feel good about it, but that's like my only option. Let's do like Luke and Baker out there. Where's he playing? What position is he playing? Are you going to put Donovan in the outfield? You can put Donovan in the outfield? I don't know. I don't really know. See, you can't be this you started off as Mercado <laughs> leading off. guys in the outfield you, decide, hey, you know what? Luke and Baker, you're playing third base tonight. <laughs> Luke, <laughs> just go up to the batter's box and see if they ask you what position you're playing. <laughs> the, the reason I want to play. we're on the road, that might work. I'm not, not sure play, that's going to work. You're not playing all. today, Luke. And, no, 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 I am. I mean, I'm here. The, the reason I want to put Gorman at the two spot, because I understand what you're saying. I think you're not wrong that he's been one of the worst I know hitters. I I'm not. He's been terrible. Uh, but the reason I want to do it is because Goldie is still the the number one fear factor for the St. Louis Cardinals in this lineup. And with that being said, I'm just going with the old school mindset of, hey, that means they're going to pitch to Gorman. And if Gorman starts getting pitches to hit, maybe he can start to turn things back around. That's why I would go with Gorman, too. And I'd hit Walker those right five. now batting in front of Nolan Arenado. Can we be honest? I'm not sure how can, much fear there is at Arenado can, right now can, across base. He's been your best hitter for like a month. Can I give you guys this lineup that we just got? This is where we're at right now from the 618. Donovan in right, Walker in left, Arenado at third, Gorman at second. You're probably wondering why I didn't say Goldie Baker at DH. Goldie's batting sixth for sure, you. Sure. Carlson in center, Contreras at catcher, and Edmund shortstop. Man, we have gotten to the point now where Goldie's batting sixth. Well, I mean, sure, why not? Spray him. Like, why not? I, okay. Honestly, at this point, put whatever. Just put whatever don't put out Goldie lead. I really, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, if you want to throw out a lineup and you're saying, hey, this is what I would do today. All right. Sure. Like, they could throw out something wild today. You could put Jordan Walker batting leadoff, and I'd be like, okay, okay. sure, yeah. why not? You put you want to do T-Bones, Goldie batting leadoff today? Ooh. All right, 
Sure. You Get your put- best guys in the lineup the most opportunities tonight, and let's see what it looks like. Because what you're doing is clearly not working. Yeah. And that's why, if anything, I mean, we rely heavily as Cardinals fans. The Cardinals rely heavily on Goldie Arenado as a one-two punch. Maybe you go back to that and hopefully a little bit more comfort can set in for those two guys. But everything else, I mean, this isn't a matter of batting position. This is a matter no. of guys not hitting. So It's to not act about like, where they're hitting. It's about who is yeah. hitting. And they're all bad. <laughs> it's about how they're hitting and they're not hitting. But, I, I mean, this isn't going to make that much of a difference. But if you want the comfort factor, go for it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This will be the final text before we get to the other side. Troller text from the 636. Guys, BK is dead ass wrong. Gorman has been Dad the sexed. most consistent at bat for the Cardinals. He just had a single last night. <laughs> mm. I'm actually leaning troll. I mean, he probably had more hits than a couple of other guys in the lineup last night. He's striking out 45% of the time in his last just, 20 games. That's just going to be him, man. 45%. Let Nolan go. There is nothing productive. Literally nothing productive can happen you when you're ready? striking out 45% of Are the time. Are you ready to trade Nolan Gorman? No, I'm oh, telling again. you that he's going through a massive slump right now. Well, and everybody he, is on this team. Sure. Fair. It's the but, consistent Cardinals offense. If we're going to talk about how Wilson Contreras is broken and he looks to be broken right now and he sounds like he's broken right now. The same thing is true for Nolan Gorman. He's just not verbalizing it. They're going through the exact same slump right now. They're going through now what Nolan Arenado went through earlier in the season, except worse because Nolan Gorman's striking out more often. It's a disaster, man. It's an absolute abject disaster. And coming up next... We got to talk about the two guys in the order that deserve the most scrutiny. Because if you're going to construct your roster the way that the St. Louis Cardinals did, what happened last October is going to get scrutiny. And when it happens again repeatedly the following season, it's going to come under even more scrutiny. We'll talk about those two guys next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sixteen saves, also the most in baseball. Bays hit the other way for Donovan. There's a start for the Cardinals. Swing, fly ball, right center field. That's going to get down for a base hit. Stutter step around second for Goldschmidt. He's on his way to third. He'll stop there. And the Cardinals have the tying run at third base. Time to bust something open here. And the beauty here is with one out, you can make an out and tie the game. Arenado, first and third. It up. Two outs. Time to regroup, make something happen somehow. Swing, fly ball, center field. Slater going back but has room, and that will retire the side. Cardinals had him first and third, one out. Can't get it tied, and we head to the night. That's what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, the Cardinals are going to fail or succeed based on their big bats. I'm talking about Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. And last night in the eighth inning, Nolan Arenado comes to the plate with a runner on third, one out. We've been talking about this all season long, fails to produce a productive out. Then in the ninth inning, you have the bases loaded. Paul Goldschmidt coming up to the plate. It's like, okay, Jordan Walker just had that hit where it's like, whoa, how how did that thing end up 
biting off of the lip of the um, infield dirt and then taking a kangaroo hop, I think is what they called it on the broadcast last night. And finally, something breaks the Cardinals way and you just wonder, okay, is this the moment that we're going to look back on and say, maybe things finally started to go their way right there. Nope, nope, not there. Uh, Because on the very first pitch, Paul Goldschmidt grounds out to the pitcher. Alex, this has become the reality for the Cardinals. Last October, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado failed very publicly on a national stage. I think those guys are great baseball players, genuinely great, future Hall of Famers for both of them. But Nolan Arenado has not been the same defender this year as he was last year. Nolan Arenado has not been the same hitter this year that he was last year. Paul Goldschmidt has not been as clutch this year as he was last year. And if those things continue to be the case, the Cardinals will not fail, will not succeed this year, regardless of what happens around them. We can talk till we're blue in the face about Jordan Walker's defense or what they're doing at shortstop with DeYoung versus Edmond or the fact that yesterday was just the uh, first time all year that they've had the same outfield configuration four games in a row, which is true, by the way. We can talk about any of those things. The reality is the Cardinals are going to succeed or fail based on what happens with Goldie and Arenado. And right now, those guys are not coming through in the moments that matter. Yeah, it's what the big trades that you made over the last few years, what you were doing. You build those two players to be your columns in terms of how you were going to build this team. And unfortunately, it has failed them this season. And your biggest bet, we've talked about bets that they made and how they didn't pay out, whether it was the outfield or the pitching staff. Your biggest bet was your offense this season. Yep. Like you, the reason you signed Wilson Contreras rather than trading pieces for a Sean Murphy, although his offense is playing, was because you wanted the offensive upside of Wilson Contreras. And it hasn't panned out for this team. Offense has not been the identity of this team. In fact, it's been the offense going silent has been the identity of this team. And the defense hasn't backed it up for you. So Goldie and Arenado are at the forefront of this. And look, I understand it's been a small sample size the last few seasons. But when you talk about the biggest stage in terms of advancing in the postseason, the one game against the Dodgers, I know it was one game against the Dodgers. No show. The games against the Philadelphia Phillies, you had a no show. That's the one thing with this. And as much as I like can push back because Goldie just won an MB- MVP. Arenado was in the running all the way through last season. But when it comes to these big moments in terms of your eyes point to them and say, please take us out of this. They have been unable to do that for this team. And to be fair to them, T-Bone mentioned these numbers to us before the show today. They've been great in their career in high leverage situations. Both of them. In their entirety of their careers, you look at the numbers and it's like, wow, those guys are awesome. And you look at what they've done specifically against the Giants. Those guys have been amazing against the Giants in their respective careers. And yet, for whatever reason, it hasn't mattered. It hasn't mattered. I We were talking about this again before the show today. All of the issues that showed up last September and ran through the end of the season have reemerged this year. I just kind of wrote them off because it was a team that was playing out the string because they had such a significant lead in their division. But when you look back at what happened in September to the Cardinals, every single one of those things is now still a problem. The fact that Paul Goldschmidt at that point in time wasn't coming through in big situations. Nolan Arenado was the same thing to a lesser degree. You looked at the defense and it was kind of making some weird mistakes uh, fundamentally at the end of last year, but they were able to overcome it and it didn't really matter. They went like 500 in the Part month. Part of that because the outfield was a mess again. Absolutely. There were injuries that were taking place. Tyler O'Neill, not surprisingly, was on the injured list because he had that hamstring injury, I think it was, and then he decided ah, I'm not good enough to go and they said, okay, fine, get out of here. Go to Arizona. You're going to be in the Arizona Fall League. And he's like, okay, cool. Um, and then you look at 
what they had pitching wise. Adam Wainwright, all of the issues that we've seen so far this year, they emerged last year in September. The stuff that we thought was going to get fixed has not been fixed. I I don't I'm at a loss of words at this point, guys. I'm where the Cardinals were at the end of the night on Sunday, where Ollie Marmel said they have to be perfect to play. And then Adam Wainwright said, I keep showing up every day expecting it to be different, and it isn't. And Nolan Arenado said it's the same thing over and over again. We've been talking about this for two months and nothing has changed. I feel that way about our show. <laughs> and like every day we come on here expecting something to be different the next night. And it never is. It's the exact same issues. Last night, they gave up runs in the second inning that haunted them. And then they failed to capitalize in the eighth or ninth inning. And that haunted them as well. It is the exact same thing. Over and over and over again. And man, it's exhausting to watch. Yeah, it's brutal to watch. And the sad part is, you know, it's coming from about first pitch. You know that somehow, some way, they're going to find a way to lose. And, you know, with Goldie Nardinato, it's tough to explain. But, you know, I, I have pushed back against Alex and the, you know, they can't perform in the playoffs. But, I mean, look, first off, coming into this year, we said this was going to be an offensive identity team. Really what we were saying was this team was going to be carried by Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato, and there was probably 100%. going to be somebody at some I thought point. it was Wilson Contreras. That's well, why you signed him. Whether it was Contreras or Gorman, Gorman, somebody getting hot to be that third bat at a time. But when Goldie and Arnato aren't the guys that are performing, then that offensive identity is just lost. And two, though I push back on Alex's point about them performing in the postseason, guys, this is the, let's be honest, this is playoff baseball for the Cardinals right now. They are playing playoff baseball in the month of June, and who is the ones that are wiltering at the plate right now when runners are in scoring position? Yes, it's Contreras. Yes, it's Gorman. It's also Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado because these are becoming must-win games. We talked about yesterday. To get to just 500 by the All-Star break, they got to go 18-6. and six. They've got to win out in the month of June to get above 500 by the end of this month. So that's not going to happen. So they are playing playoff baseball, and we are starting to see these guys kind of wilter in this moment in terms of these are must-win games, and when the spotlight is on them, to Alex's point, they just are not coming through. I mean, September last year, that was the downfall of Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, I mean that was the that was the month where we were like, man, is he going to lose the MVP for how bad he was? And I don't remember how what Nolan Arenado was doing in September, but that's that is playoff baseball. And you were a team that had an MVP fighting for that top spot in the NL Central, and you wiltered in that spot. And now the desperation mode has set in after you go on that two week span. And look, this sounds like we're just pointing at those. I mean, there are other players. Paul Goldschmidt did everything possible to try and bring you back into the game last night. He he hit the two-run bomb that gave you that lead, and it fell apart. It also does feel like that those two guys have hit the point where it's like, guys, I need some help here. You know, it's what we talked about with Ryan O'Reilly that final season. Ryan O'Reilly was doing everything. The problem was he was always on the ice and goals were going against. And we're like, guys, I can't do this all myself. That's what I feel like Goldschmidt and Arenado are going through. But when you absolutely need somebody to pull you out of the fire... You don't have those guys doing it for you. Whereas if you you brought it up in the office, you go to the Dodgers. When the team's slumping, who are you looking to? Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. What are they doing? They're pulling you out. The Atlanta Braves. You're looking at Ronald Acuna Jr. He's finding a way to pull you out of that. 
right now the Cardinals are suffering just like the Padres and the Mets. Their go-to guys have just disappeared on them. Yeah, and you look at it in their last 19 games, they're 6-13. and 13. This is like the back half of that 19 games and 19-day stretch. It starts with a 6-5 to five loss uh, on the road in Cincinnati in extra innings and continues on through yesterday. Here is the OPS for some of your big bats in that stretch. Paul Goldschmidt has actually been the best of them uh, at 808. Nolan Arenado has been pretty good, except for in runners and scoring position uh, situations. He has been horrible in those spots. Paul DeYoung has a 530 OPS in this stretch. Nolan Gorman, 500 OPS. Tommy Edmond, 430 OPS. Wilson Contreras, 407 OPS. Those are just like Nolan Gorman striking out 40% of the time. You've had a 28% strikeout rate for both DeYoung and Wilson Contreras. Guys aren't coming through. You look at the team rankings in this stretch. The Cardinals are 24th in Major League Baseball over their last 19 games in OPS as a team. 24th. This is a team that was supposed to be constructed in a way where their offense is just going to outslug all of their issues. The only teams that have been worse than them, Kansas City, who's not trying to win. Detroit, who's in the middle of a massive rebuild. Chicago, who's dealt with horrible injuries, and that lineup has just never come together the way that they thought. Milwaukee, who we all knew coming into the season, that offense is going to stink, and it's a matter of if their pitching is able to overcome it. Oakland, again, not trying to win. And Chicago, who's dealing with a bunch of injuries. They've also got a lot of very young players that are playing for them. They've got a bunch of guys that are really defense first on that roster right now. That's the company that you're keeping at the bottom of Major League Baseball right now. This team is not going to be able to win, forget consistently, just like one out of three when they're playing like that offensively. It's it's a nightmare. And until these guys start playing better, it's it's not going to get fixed. It, it really comes down to Goldie and Arenado coming through in the big spots. You can be a 280 hitter. That's great. What are you doing in the clutch? I, I hate it, Alex. I know you bring it up all the time. I, I push back against it, but at some point it becomes true. If you are not able to overcome that at some point in your career, then that is going to be what follows you moving forward. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But coming up next, talk about clutch. The Denver Nuggets win the NBA title last night, and a new player has emerged as the clear-cut greatest player in the world. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Base sideline gets it in, gets it back, shoots a three, no good. Rebound, Caldwell Pope. Ten seconds to go. Miami's not going to foul. No team in NBA history's waited longer. After 47 years, the Denver Nuggets are finally NBA champions. They take down the Heat in five games. The Nuggets, the 2023 NBA champs. 
You heard it here on 101 ESPN and alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The NBA Finals are officially over. The Denver Nuggets win it in five games. Anthony Stalter owes me a six-pack of beer because of that. Just Very like happy money. about that. Uh, Alex, yesterday, Nikola Jokic, I think, officially took his rightful throne as the greatest basketball player in the world. He led the NBA playoffs. No player has ever done this in points, rebounds, and assists. He finished the playoffs averaging for the postseason 30 points, 13 assist, or thirteen rebounds, and 10 assists per game. He basically averaged a triple-double for the entirety of the playoffs, and he did that as a big man. It's one thing for like Russell Westbrook to do that, where he's trying to steal rebounds from his own team during the regular season. For a big man to do that and to dominate the way that Nikola Jokic did is nothing short of remarkable. He completely dominated the postseason. And the Denver Nuggets, really, from start to finish, dominated the playoffs. They went in five against the Minnesota Timberwolves. The one game they lost went to overtime. They went in six against the Phoenix Suns. And they were close in those two games that they lost in that series. Swept the Lakers, nearly swept the Miami Heat, if not for a great um, uh, win by Miami. They had a three at the buzzer that could have tied that one since it's overtime as well. Could have been a sweep here. A remarkable win by them, a remarkable team this year in Denver. I thought my biggest takeaway, though, was what Nikola Jokic has just become. MVP each of the last two years, this year winning the NBA Finals MVP. That guy stands alone for me atop the rest of the league. He is clearly at this point the best player in the NBA. Yeah, watching it last night. I mean, you notice him every time he's on the floor. And I was listening to Get Up this morning, and they were already talking about where he ranks among. And this was the part that just got me because... That's where we're at, but that's how rare Jokic is. They they were ranking him in terms of the best playmaking big men of all time. Number one. Number one. And, and I mean, they were talking with Kareem and Larry Bird, but then they were talking about just how dominant in every aspect he is on the floor. But when you hear big men, you don't think that. But that is how the game has transitioned now. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Big men, if you're not coming out of college going into the draft unless you can knock down the three. Absolutely. You're not a big man in the NBA unless you can move the floor rather than just stand underneath the paint. But when you think big man, you're thinking Shaq. You're thinking all of these guys that played that way. And to have that conversation and also to point out, which J.J. Redick did, that He's still got a long runway. It's not like this is the twilight of his career and we're talking about the last five years. We're talking years old. He's we're talking about a guy who could win three more MVPs within the next five seasons. And really, when you think about where the West stands, there's not a whole lot of competition that goes up against what Denver just had. It's going to be hard. Like, this is one thing that I do think people get a little bit out over their skis sometimes with is like, OK, now they're going to be a dynasty. Let's let's reel it in a little bit. We felt that way about Milwaukee. Milwaukee was the last team that was in this spot where it was like, oh, Giannis is the greatest player in the world, and now the Milwaukee Bucks are going to dominate the East because look how weak it is. It's way harder than it looks because injuries happen. A guy goes through a shooting slump, like maybe next year Jamal Murray goes through a four-game shooting slump, and then they lose to whoever, the Suns or somebody, right? It can happen quick, but... They are set up, to your point, Alex, to be able to go on a significant run here. I don't think anybody's going to be what the Warriors just did. But if there's a team that can do something where they win like 
three of the next six, yeah. or they go to four out of the next six and win one or two of and them. Like, got the, this would be the team that I would pick to do. And that. they've got the core in place, Absolutely. just like Golden State did at the beginning of their run. I mean, you've got the pieces with Jamal Murray, with Aaron Gordon, with Jokic, and then of course with Michael Porter Jr. I mean, you've got the pieces in place to build around. Yeah, definitely got the pieces in place, and and the most important part of it is you got the best player in the world, as yeah. BK said. I mean, he's good at everything. I mean, he can score on you. In the post, I mean, I was just looking at this. In the playoffs, he shot 46% from three. <laughs> this dude's seven feet tall, and he's behind the three-point arc shooting at above a 45% clip. Like, you literally can't clip. stop that. Yeah, you can't stop that. And and he's rebounds. He's he's maybe the best passer in the game right now. I mean, just the passes he's make is unbelievable. And then the other thing that I think is kind of underrated in his game, I mean, defensively, he's not a liability. Now, is he slow in terms of getting out to defend shots? Yes, but he does a very good job of defending the paint. I thought that was kind of the underrated aspect of his game in the finals. Did a very good job of kind of clogging the paint and forcing Butler to kick it out or Ky- or uh, Lowry to kick it out when they got the chance. So they they are set up to potentially go on a run, but I, I agree with BK. I'm a little cautious in terms of saying that because, one, I, I do think the West is a little better than we give it credit for. I mean, you now have got Katie and Booker in Phoenix. Be interesting to see what that team looks like moving forward. I also forward. think people just like kind of overlook that series against the Lakers. Man, those games were really yeah. close. And looking back on it now after seeing what the Nuggets just did to the Miami Heat, who kind of took it to the Celtics for the vast majority of that series. If I'm a Lakers fan, I feel better about my team today than I did when that series came to a conclusion. Yeah, but it's a, they're such an uncertain roster because uh, you don't know sure. two of the main pieces for that team. If they're injured, which they always are, you're not doing anything. Yeah, it's like having Jacob DeGrom at the front of your rotation if you're the Rangers, right? Where it's like, hey, if he's there when we're in the postseason, we're going to feel pretty good about this. But the odds of that happening, like you you have no yeah. idea of him if he's going to be able to stay healthy for that long. Yeah, And the other thing for me, and it's a bit of a concern, maybe it changes now in modern basketball because the big man is outside, as I just said, with Jokic shooting 46% from three. But, uh, just so ridiculous. No, that's to say, that's just him. Nobody else does that. Big guys can lose it quickly, and I don't mean in terms of talent, just injuries can kind of rack up on them, going up for rebounds a lot, playing in the paint, turning ankles, breaking ankles, stuff like that. So that's why I'm a little bit cautious. And look, I'm not hoping for injury for Jokic, and I'm not predicting that that's going to happen, but that's what you see with a lot of big men is over time that it just wears on them because they're the ones that take the brunt of the punishment down in the post. So that's something to keep, it, keep in the back of your mind. But yes, Jokic is the best player, and they are definitely Definitely set up to go on a potentially deep run or a consistent run over the next 10 years, I'd say. I'll say this, too. Just watching the Miami Heat, and I've watched more Heat this year than I've watched in the past. Sure. I'm starting to build a fascination with Adebayo. I really like the way Bam's he plays. He plays the old-school big-man style. You just don't have that new-school Jokic to where you can actually compete in the NBA. Yeah, and like he's he's super athletic. Like That's the thing about Bam is you can he can defend oh, one yeah. through five but he can also play with whether you want a face-up game with him or you want to put him down on the low block. He can do he's, a little bit of anything. He's one of those guys you want to see on another team that maybe can build around him a little bit better, uh, kind of like Embiid. I, I think the Heat are on a really good spot. I'll be interested to see what they do. There's been some talk about Dame potentially asking for a trade down to Miami. If that ends up happening, like oh, that, well, that, that is happens, your quote-unquote yeah. big three would be super Keep interesting. Keep an eye on uh, Jalen Brown as well. Him sure. and Jimmy Butler work out in the offseason. Uh, well, then there you go. You've got your next uh, Celtics-Lakers, hopefully rivalry building. Somebody from the 980 said, you guys are acting as if you've never seen Dirk Nowitzki play before, he was better than what Jokic is now. They're just really different. Dirk Nowitzki was more of a scorer. Like he was a get the ball. He was a shooter as a four. He was he yeah. was like one of the original stretch forward. fours. Yeah. This is different. This is a playmaking center, the likes of which we haven't seen in the NBA since Bill Walton. 
That that's what we're witnessing right now. I I've never seen in my lifetime a basketball player quite like Nikola Jokic. Never seen it. He passes. I think you could maybe even make an argument better than LeBron James, who I think is that's his best skill. LeBron as as a player is his ability to create for his teammates. He's able to, last night you saw this, play through contact and do all of the dirty work underneath. He's a great rebounder. Like, everything you want from a player, forget position, he's got it for you. Oh, and by the way, he can also shoot. He is he is a better player than Dirk Nowitzki, in my opinion. I agree. And that is saying something because I love Dirk Nowitzki. I thought he was an underrated player for the vast majority of his career. But they're different, and I do think Nikola Jokic is actually better, especially with what we've seen from his prime. I do want to listen to a couple of quotes from Jokic after the game. Did you watch any of the postgame stuff, Alex? I did. I think somebody needs to tell Nikola Jokic that he just won the NBA Finals. I don't think he's aware of this because first he was asked, this is right after the game. This is moments after Lisa Salters on the ESPN broadcast goes up to Jokic and says, hey, congratulations. You you just won the NBA Finals. How does it feel to be a champion? It's got to be a lifelong dream, right? 28 years old. He was a second round pick coming over from Serbia like You've been thinking your entire life about this moment. You've got the confetti falling on you. Your daughter's in your hands. Like This has to be amazing, right? You are an NBA champion, Nicola. How does that feel? It's good. It's good. The job is done. We can go home now. <laughs> the first thing he says after being an NBA championship. I feel NBA like I'm champion, watching Rocky Four right now. We can go home now. We can go home now. Okay, cool. And then... He's got a little bit of time to process this. Now he's he's been drinking for a while. He came yeah. to the podium with a, a tall boy, Mick Ultra. I bet you he was thrilled to hear about the parade, right? You think about like today is the anniversary. Four years ago today, we had that great parade here in St. Louis. And you go to OB Clark's and everything's fantastic, right? Well, in two days, they're going to be having that same moment after this clip for Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets out in Denver, Colorado. Here's Nikola Jokic postgame. So I'm curious what you are feeling right now and if you're looking forward to a parade coming up in Denver. When is parade? When is parade? Thursday. No. <laughs> I need to go home. <laughs> okay. Uh... He then went on I NBA TV. He was talking with Charles Barkley and they were talking to him about what the next few days looks like for him. He said... You know, on Sundays, I race my horses, and I'm really worried that I'm not going to be able to get back to Serbia so I have to race my horse. So he said, I'm going to ask the owner to give me a plane so that way I can go back to Serbia on time. I love this so much. Now I know why when he was drafted, they had a Taco Bell commercial going on because the NBA was like, there is nothing interesting about this guy drafted in the second round, and now he is going to be the face of the NBA The guy really said, you're a champion. How does it feel? The job is done. I can go home now. That's nothing. They ask him if he's excited <laughs> about the parade, and he goes, parade? When's there a parade? Wait, wait, like, what do you mean? I go to this not, parade? He did not understand that there was a championship parade. <laughs> and he's like, Thursday? And when he found out about it, he was no, like, I don't no, want to no, be no, here no, for no, that. No. Well, have you seen the, uh, I think it was last year, maybe it was this year, where he went, he got the, or it had to be last year, where he gets the MVP, and he's at his stable, and the horse is in the background, yeah. and the barn is in the hey, background. Respect while the he's man. Accepting, while he's accepting his MVP. Basketball I love it. is a hobby to him. Horsing is the real job. Well, he was asked about something else. I don't have the clip here. Uh, I was watching it last night on uh, SVP and he was asked about you know like w- what does this mean to him you know what 
you've probably been thinking about this your entire life. Try to take us through the process of how you're you're going through all of this right now. He said, well, you know, I would imagine a lot of you guys don't really like your work either. Um, this is a job. And so I'm, I'm going to go home now. It's like, Jokic, buddy, <laughs> you can pretend like this matters to you. <laughs> Sports Illustrated, it's funny we're talking about this. They just posted a video from in the locker room afterwards, and they show uh, Michael Malone dancing with Jokic's family. Yeah, his like, brothers is, were way more excited than he, he was. He's partying, partying with the entire Jokic family, and, and like he's nowhere to be found. He's probably sitting there thinking, God, I got to get back to the stables. These horses need my help. Yeah, that's clearly what was going God on. God bless there. that man. I I love Nikola Jokic love the so energy. much. He is he is just a different kind of cat. By the way, somebody asked what happened with Stan last night. His post game interview was one of the strangest things I've ever seen, and that's saying something because we've seen a few of these with Stan. Yeah, it was weird, man. Kronsky's losing old. it. He's getting old, man. That mustache is getting grayer and grayer. Somebody said, "Is this guy the Brooks Kepka of the NBA?" Different. No. This guy's not too cool for school. This guy yeah. is just like he really wants. Wants to get back to his horses. He really he just, doesn't care. He, he he's just like it, it. Almost looks like he's a guy that just is really great at basketball. That goes and plays at the YMCA and doesn't realize how good he is. He just dominates all of the six foot nerds like myself Tanner. that are playing in the pickup game. Sounds like Tanner. Like that's that's Nikola Jokic, except yeah. he's doing it against the best, the other best players in the world. And it's nothing to with him. Forty or it's twenty thousand people watching him nightly. It's standing there and it's like eh, none of these guys can compete with me. I'm going to just. Sh- Flawlessly shoot forty six percent from the three point line <laughs> and average a triple double yeah. for the postseason Jeez. and be the first player in NBA history to lead the playoffs yeah. in points, rebounds, and assists. Hey, buddy! That's at least remarkable. we were blessed with good looks. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 3-9-9-9-6-4-6 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. David Panyota covers the NHL for the fourth period. He's going to join us coming up in about five minutes or so to talk about his report that he believes teams have had interest in Colton Pareko. So we'll talk about that with him coming up here in just a little bit. But first, let's get to this from the 314. Guys, which take was worse? Hoffman and Thomas are the next Hall and Oates, or the 2023 Cardinals offense will be better than the 2004 Cardinals offense. Oh. I want to be very clear here. Mm. Never said that. Said it would be yeah, very similar to the 2013 Cardinals offense, which hey, also has not aged particularly Tanner, well. You hear that? Beep, beep, beep. Hold on. Let the semi truck go. Which one was worse? Oh, it's I think Hoffman it's this and one, right? No, it's Hoffman and Thomas. Are you kidding yeah. me? There oh, was there was definitely. way too much excitement about a free agent. You know how I get excited about, you know, spring training and how all that's definitely going to translate to the regular season? Alex had that moment. I, I got way too excited. And in my defense, Mike Hoffman was unreal in terms of one-timers and his goal-scoring ability before the Blues signed him. And now he's one of the worst contracts in the NHL, apparently. So, uh, yeah, that was a bad take by me. But, hey. I went, I, I went one for two once Kyrou showed up. Yeah, something like that. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Fine. air comfort service text defense. line. Guys, assuming the Cardinals do not win the NL Central, then who does? It's a fair question. Uh, right now, I would say probably Cincinnati. I think that would be my pick. Cincinnati right now looks like the best team in the NL Central. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to disagree with that. I, I still think... If Milwaukee keeps that team together, I think they could end up winning it. Now, do you look, think they will? I, I mean, I think it's going to take like 83 wins to win this division. Oh, no, I, do you think they're going to keep them together? 
I don't see that I think team so. being I, together. I don't think you can do back-to-back years if you're in the race still of trading Hader and then blowing it up with Burns. I, I think they're going to wait and move him in the offseason. So I, that's why I still lean towards Milwaukee. Now, they start to spiral out of I control. Think even if they're they gone. keep it together, I would take the Reds over them. I, I think the Reds are kind of in one of those like, oh, wow, this is super exciting. But the moment like some of those guys start to really cool off is when they're going to start to spiral a little bit out of control. I, I think they're a year, maybe two away from really contending in the Man. Central. If they're buyers, though, if they go out and get one. Uh, I saw a report the other day that apparently Raldis Chapman would love to go back to Cincinnati. That'd be fun to watch. That would be fun. And they find a way to do that, get another starting pitcher for their rotation. Yeah. Ooh, buddy. They've got better pitching than I think people give them credit for. I think they just kind of assume, hey, that pitching is bad. It's it's really not. Yep. It's fine. It's not the strength of the team, but the the pitching has been okay, and the offense has been quite good. And if Ellie De La Cruz is as good as people think, um, they're gonna be they're gonna be in it at a minimum until the very end. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. Final thing here from the three one four guys, if you could add any one player to this year's St. Louis Cardinals not named Shohei Otani, who would it be? Assuming every player in Major League Baseball is available. Ooh. Mike Trout. I, this outfield needs help. And if you had Trout center field, one, your defense is good. Two, you've got one of the best hitters in all of baseball, even though he's having a down year, but it's like a down my year. Answer similar to OPS. My answer is similar to that, but it's Ronald Acuna yeah, Jr. I was just going to say mine would be Ronald Acuna Jr. Put him in center field. I'm putting him in right and just like Tommy can play center for me. That's fine. Um, God, you and this Tommy thing in center field. He's really good defensively, man. I think. I think he's got a chance to stick there. Uh, but I think the biggest thing with Acuna, like the energy that he brings, dude, it, this team needs a change in energy. And Acuna brings that because he's already so far this year had 28 stolen bases. He's going to potentially get 60 of them this year. He also has 13 home runs. Um, he's got a 400 on base percentage, like everything you could. Ronald Acuna Jr. right now is the best position player in the sport. Oh, yeah. yeah so I would go pick. with him. Coming up next, David Paniota said the other day on Twitter that teams are calling the Blues about Colton Pareko. Are the Blues answering those calls, though? Well, that's David next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Always happy to be joined by our friend David Panyota. You can find his work over at The Fourth Period. You could also find him on Twitter at The Fourth Period. David, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Absolutely. I'm great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing all right. So we've got the NHL finals. I want to catch up with you on that here in just a minute. But the other day, one of the reasons why we re- reached out to you is because as all of the Philadelphia trades were coming through, you mentioned something about how uh, teams have been calling on the Blues defenseman Colton Pareko. I-, I wanted to follow up on that a bit, David. When teams are calling, are the Blues actually listening from what the information is that you've gathered? Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Um, you know, Doug Armstrong's doing his due diligence. He's taking calls. He's gathering information. And, you know, he's, he's, he's doing his job as a manager. And there are teams that are interested in Colton Pareko. He's fishing. He's seeing what's out there. And um, there are teams that are listening. Look, this goes back to the trade deadline and prior to the trade deadline when the St. Louis Blues 
were, you know, active in making a bunch of different moves. And the possibility of moving Pareko um, is still certainly there. Um, they're listening. They're, they're trying to see what type of information is out there and what teams are looking to bolster their blue line. And if the right deal falls into place, you know, he's going to consider his options and, and kind of go from there. David, if you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes, what is that right deal available? Because, of course, you're going to have to find a way to replace a, a six foot five defenseman who right. logs 20-plus minutes a night, and it doesn't seem like that those players would just be available on a flip like that. No, you're right. And and this is not a scenario where you know he's looking to dump the player and, and trade for futures. St. Louis Blues want to remain competitive, certainly. And, you know, we'll, we'll see that um, later this month. We'll see it in free agency. The mandate is certainly to remain competitive and, um, you know, to, to go after a playoff spot again next season. And that'll be reflective in, in the moves that they're going to make. Um, but you want to augment your roster a little bit. You want to give yourself some flexibility um, from, a, from a cap perspective to modify your roster as you can. So, um, you know, certainly if you're looking to move, if, if, they're looking to move, excuse me, a guy like Pareko. Um, it's likely to be bringing a young defenseman as part of, uh, of a return, get a little additional cap space, and give yourself a little bit of flexibility um, you know, going, into, going into July. So this, this isn't a scenario where you know, let's dump them for futures and let's, let's get a rebuild going here. This is a team that still wants to be competitive, um, but you know, there are a lot of clubs that are out there looking to modify their decor and if the right deal falls into place um, they're going to explore it. David I think that Colton Pareko has become a bit of a lightning bolt for conversation here in St. Louis. Some will hear what you're saying right now and say yes do it take whatever you can get Army and others will say uh, no don't you dare if you've trade him now you've just created a bigger issue on the blue line those that are saying don't trade Pareko will probably then pivot the conversation to say what about Tori Krug what about Nick Letty could they maybe move one of those guys and so that's what I do want to ask you here do you think there's any appetite around the league for Nick Letty or Colton Pareko or are their contracts non-starters for other teams no look uh, they're going to listen and whether it's Krug, whether it's Letty, whether it's Pareko, they're, they're going to listen um, to, to see what the marketplace has to bear for some of their guys. And whether it's somebody on the right side, whether it's someone on the left side, there are teams that are looking, as I said, to kind of modify their, their decor. So, um, you know, if you're looking for somebody a little more, you know, a little more physical, whether you're looking for somebody that's got a little more offense to his game, um, you know, the, the Blues certainly have options. And, um, this, this goes, again, back to the trade deadline where, you know, they listened, they, they explored the possibility on some of these guys, um, and they're going to continue, you know, to do that. This isn't, a, again, a scenario where we we, we got we, we to sell some of these pieces off and, and um, start up a rebuild here. This, again, this is a scenario where they, they want to modify their decor but also give themselves a little bit of flexibility from a cap perspective to make – you know, potentially other moves and, and to bolster themselves up front. This is, you know, a team that's going to look to, to modify their forward core. They've got more flexibility. They've got some open space after moving out guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko ahead of the deadline last or this past season. Um, they're they're going to want to give themselves a little additional flexibility and, and, and wiggle room to, to maneuver here. Um, so if the right deal falls into place for one of their guys on the blue line, they're, they're, they're going to look at that and they're going to utilize the additional space 
to make modifications elsewhere. David, I, I said this at the trade deadline this past year that come the offseason, Doug Armstrong is going to be probably the most interesting general manager in all of hockey when it comes to the assets that he's acquired, the cap space that he's got, and what he's looking to accomplish. Now, since I made that comment, Toronto uh, fired and hired somebody else. <laughs> Calgary has done the same. The Rangers just hired a new head coach. How active yeah. do you expect this trade market to be become, or come the offseason once the Stanley Cup Finals over? Uh, I think I, I think last week things started to get the ball rolling with that big three-way trade between Philadelphia, uh, LA, and, and Columbus that sent Provorov over to um, to the Blue Jackets. That you know trade talks have picked up. Um, they, they were they were active then. They're more active now. Uh, I think this is going to be an interesting um, you know time period over the next few weeks around uh, draft uh, in in Nashville in a couple of weeks. Um, and on, we're, we're going to see we're going to see a lot of activity league wide. There are teams that want to modify their rosters, make some make some changes, and um, this is this is the time to do it. It's almost like trade deadline 2.0 um, this season with with you know things around draft time. Um, there are a lot of teams that are looking to make moves. Anaheim is, is out there taking calls on John Gibson and um, and, and Adam Henry. Philly's listening to a variety of different players from Konechny. Uh, you know, to Hart, to Lawton, to uh, to Kevin Hayes, um, and and so on. There are a lot of teams that are looking to make different moves. Winnipeg's very active with Shifley and Hellebuck and Wheeler and, and Dubois. Um, this is if you're you know if you're a fan of this type of movement um, and this type of this type of craziness, this Philly season is uh, is definitely picking up. David Panyota is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over on the fourth period. He also does some work for Sirius XM's NHL channel. Uh, one of the things that we've kind of been talking about over the last couple of weeks, David, is the possibility of Arizona ending up moving Clayton Keller. He's a St. Louis native. He's from here, so we certainly know his game well in the St. Louis area. All of us know the backstory of what's gone on with their um, their situation with their stadium and whether or not they're going to get a new arena in that area. And there were some conversations right after that vote of maybe Keller asking for a trade. What are you hearing on Keller? And do you expect him to be moved this offseason? That would be a very, very big, significant type of deal. Um, you know, the Coyotes don't want to. They, they, they want to hold on to him. Um, he's, you know, obviously frustrated. He's, you know, voiced that family uh, as well, kind of, uh, voiced their frustration as well after um, you know the vote kind of came down and, and the Coyotes weren't able to move forward with um, their rink in Tempe. Um, there's and I get it. Hey, look, there's a lot of frustration. There was a lot of belief that they'd be able to pull that off. Um, and the players and staff are, are certainly you know frustrated over the situation. But you know if you're the Coyotes, you've got him locked in. Um, it's going to take quite a significant type of deal in order to move him. Um, and if this is a team that either sticks around or, you know, is forced to move to a different to a different location, Salt Lake City certainly seems like a bit of a backup plan here for the Coyotes. Um, if they do either or, if they get a new building or if they're forced to move, you're going to need to you know sell the franchise to 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 expand base and moving Keller. Um, I, I don't know if that really helps their cause. Um, they'd certainly get a heck of a haul for them. Um, but they want to hold on to him. I think that's that's worst case scenario for the Coyotes in terms of roster movement if they do end up 
you know, being forced to, to kind of move this guy. They, they want to hold on to him. David, final one for you, and it's the Stanley Cup final, potentially the ender tonight with Vegas, uh, potentially winning the series against Florida that doesn't seem to have Matthew Kachuk. From your perspective, the NHL is always copycat leagues when it comes to seeing the two teams that win the Stanley Cup. Everyone's like, how do we emulate that? Is there something that's come away from Vegas's play or Florida's play that you can see teams trying to copycat this offseason? Trade for every good player. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know what? It's, it's, it's depth. It's, it's quality depth. And, you know, both of these teams have utilized all four lines in, in the right way. And um, I think it's just a, a reminder that you need to be steady from lines one through four. And you need to be, um, you know, a, a team that can exploit its offense whether you're utilizing your first line or utilizing your fourth line. What Vegas has done tremendously well has been, um, you know, kind of going with the flow with their lineup. And it doesn't necessarily have to, or they, excuse me, don't necessarily have to count on their first or second unit to create offense. They have, you know, guys that can also throw the body on their fourth line, like, you know, Colasar and, and, and Carrier and Wah, uh, but they can also create offense. And, and I think it's just a reminder for a lot of teams that if you want to be competitive in the National Hockey League and you want to, you know, a, a chance at a championship, um, you have to have a well-balanced lineup and you have to have physicality as part of it. And you guys know what Ivan Barbashev brings to the table. Um, he's he's been a ridiculously uh, key cog for the for the Vegas Golden Knights throughout these playoffs. A, 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 a strong balance of physicality and offense. And I, again, it's just a reminder for a lot of teams that if you want to win, you have to have that balance. David, appreciate the time as always, man. We'll certainly be reading your work over at the fourth period, and hopefully we can talk with you again soon as we get closer to the NHL draft and the silly season, as you called it, starts to heat up. <laughs> that would be great. Thanks so much, guys. You Thanks, David. It's David Pagnota joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. Again, he had the report the other day that the St. Louis Blues teams are calling about whether or not Colton Pareko could end up being traded. That was one of the targets, according to him, for the Columbus Blue Jackets before they eventually traded for Ivan Provorov. Alex, it, I, I still believe that to be unlikely. I would be pretty surprised if the Blues end up leaving the offseason without Colton Pareko as a part of their roster. I think he will be in the lineup on opening night next year. I, I do find it interesting, though, and I think it's smart. They're at least listening. I think what they should do, and I'm sure this is what Doug Armstrong will do, is other than like four guys on the roster, I don't think that you even listen on Buchnevich. I don't think you listen on, I know this sounds crazy, but given my past history with him, I don't think you listen on Bennington. Other than that, maybe Thomas. I'd say Thomas and Shen. I, I think they view sure. Shen as a core and, piece. and honestly, I think I'd throw Falk into here because he's the one name that doesn't come up sure. in these conversations. So core five, yeah. right? The the Maple Leafs have talked about the core four. You've got the core five group of players that you're not listening on. Anybody else, you at least listen. Yeah. And then if you get like a blow me away type of an offer, maybe you consider it. But until then, at least then you know what the value of your players is. And that gives you a better idea internally of, all right, are we too high on these guys? Are we too low on these guys? Who has more value around the league than what we value them here internally? And if so, where's that mix up coming from? What are we not valuing that other teams do? Or what are we valuing too much here that other teams just don't really care about outside of St. Louis? I, I think that's worthwhile. I'd be surprised if they end up trading Colton Pareko though. Yeah. To David's point, the only scenario that I could see happening, and this wouldn't happen because they wouldn't make this trade, but the blues would trade Colton Pareko if the Rangers called up and said, Hey, we'll give you Keandre Miller because we can't afford him. That's not going to happen, but the blues are going to trade a Colton Pareko for a cost controlled young, 
young, ready to play in the top four defense. And that's not going to happen for this team. So you're going to the other side of it. And that's what David pointed out. Teams are looking for defense. That's what you understand right now. You saw Pareko rumors there. They traded for um, Severson from the New Jersey Devils. Columbus traded for Provorov. Teams want defense. So you've got Krug and Letty. Maybe somebody's calling about those guys. That's where the phone calls actually become listening for the Blues and say, all right, let's see if we can make something worth. But I go back to what Doug said when he spoke with the media a couple of weeks ago. He said, we're not trying to just trade guys out to make space for defensemen. If we've got these guys, that's great. The best defensemen will make their way into the lineup. But right now, we're just going to wait and see what happens. I want to continue on that thread. Let's discuss on the other side. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for better to forget it. Better to forget it. The Blues end this offseason by trading last year one of their top four defensemen. We'll get into that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN brought to you by train heating and cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. I'm going to start this one off, Alex. We just talked to David Panyota, and he said, "Hey, listen, teams are calling about Colton Pareko, and the Blues are at least listening because that's Doug Armstrong's job is to figure out what's out there available for them." I'm skeptical. I don't believe that the Blues are going to trade Colton Pareko. However, I don't think it's impossible that they trade one of their defensemen this offseason. So, better to forget it, the Blues trade one of last year's top four defensemen, Letty, Pareko, Krug, or Falk this offseason. Uh, I'm going to bet this one. And our, our intern, Brennan, was in and was asking, like, who would be interested? And, and I agree. Like, you look at the contract and say there's no way somebody wants one of those defensemen. It comes down to how desperate a team is. A team like the New York Islanders I brought up to you don't have a lot of cap space. Lou Lamarillo is trying to work with what he's got. But their power play was abysmal last year, and they need to to significantly improve that. And they really don't have anybody on their roster that can do that and don't have the amount of money to go out and compete for free agents. Do they want to trade for a Tory Krug and maybe the Blues eat a million dollars of it? Or do they want to trade for a Nick Letty and see if that experiment works again? Somebody is going to be left without a chair when the music stops this offseason to where they need to upgrade their defense. That's where I think you call the blues. It's what we talked yesterday about with the Cardinals pitching. Somebody's going to want pitching and Cardinals are one stop shop right now. Everybody knows the blues have four defensemen that are willing to be moved. The price is right. And that's where I think somebody's going to call Doug and he's going to make the move. I'm going to forget it. I I don't think they're going to be able to move a top four defenseman. I I think the contracts are too much. One, I don't think they're really shopping Preco. I think it is more listening. I don't think they're moving Falk. I don't think they can sell Krug if they want to. And I'm skeptical of them being able to sell Nick Letty. So I I don't think they're going to be able to move a top four defenseman. I'm going to forget it. I think they return on opening night with the same four. So here's one of the reasons why I'm not going to completely dismiss this outright. Here are the, according to Daily Faceoff, top five defensemen available this offseason. Number one, Damon Severson. Number two, Dmitry Olav, who is, I mean, for all intents and purposes, basically what you have right now with Tory Krug. Number three, Ryan Graves, your guy. Number four. Not worth that money. <laughs> no, I would not pay him what he's going to get no. on the open market, but he's a hell of a player. Good though. player nonetheless. Vladislav. Gavrikov, you almost had it, man. Gavrikov. 
The LA Kings just signed him. I, was say, I thought he got a contract extension. They did. He did. Okay. Yeah, yeah Vladislav um, Gavrikov. Well, he was... Spell it for us. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and then now, number four, then, the fourth best defenseman available on the market. A guy that we talked about last year trading for to give third pairing minutes for. Scott Mayfield. You, you didn't even mention Matt Dumba. He wasn't in their top oh, five. Well, that's... That's amazing. Wow, how the mighty have fallen there. Yeah. But okay, that's your top four. You don't think somebody would rather have a Nick Letty or a Tory Krug? Exactly. And the problem is when you get these guys as your top four or your top defensemen that are available, Scott Mayfield's going to make like Nick Letty money this offseason. Oh, yeah. Is Scott Mayfield a significantly better player than Nick Letty? I, I don't know. I think he's different. He's got the size as opposed to Nick Letty, who is a more of a pure skater. And he's got the X's zone passes that we've heard so much about over the last couple of years. Like I get it. If you prefer one over the other, that's fine. But what about Carson Soucy? Is he significantly better than a Nick Letty? For example, I, I don't think they're all that different. Those are the top guys available on the market. So I say all of that to say this. I, I think if Doug Armstrong wants to move one of their defensemen, I think he, there's going to be a deal to be made there. Because as much as those contracts don't look great right now, they're probably going to look better than what you're going to have to pay for some of these guys that are coming up available on the open market. Alex, what do you have for better to forget? Let's stick on hockey, guys. The uh, Another draft rankings came out from Sportsnet. Uh, we're going to have Craig Button on Thursday, who's going to have his yeah. mock draft Thursday. Looking forward to that. But better to forget it, there is a team that trades into the top six. For this year's draft? For this year's draft. Um, I'm going to bet it. I just feel like this is the type of draft where there's going to be movement. And the reason why I say that is because San Jose is not trying to win right now. Arizona is not trying to win right now. And by then we'll see what their decisions are on some of their other rostered players. Anaheim, like what is their plan? I, I don't know. I think they're going to stick with number two because you've got such an outstanding player. But I, I think San Jose and Arizona to me are the two spots that I would be targeting four and six. I think one of them ends up moving out. And I would also throw in Philadelphia. So I guess if I went one through seven here, there sure. are three spots that I can see a team trading into because Philly is very evident rebuilding in the spot, depending on who's offering something. Seven might move out of this. Yeah, I think I'd bet it too. I think somebody's moving who that is exactly. I'm not sure. I think the Sharks are the one because the Sharks are the team that came yeah. out of the blue and were like, hey, we're open for business. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. I want it. Should be a text. We'll, we'll work something out. Chris, I want to hang. Chris Gear out here just trying to get work done. T-Bone, <laughs> what do you got for better to forget it? Better to forget it. The St. Louis Cardinals will finish last in the NL Central. <laughs> you just put pain on BK. Yeah. This team <sighs> has beaten the optimism out of me. And that is difficult for a Cardinals team. I, I so badly wanted to believe in them. But they give you no reason on a night-in, night-out basis to actually think this is going to turn around. I don't think they will finish last. I think that the Cubs will eventually finish last in this division. So I will say forget it. But God, I don't know why. Like, I, if you watch the games, you don't watch the games. If, if you true. did, you, you would think that, yes. Like, the correct answer based on their performance is probably, yeah, they, I'm going to bet this, but... I'm going to forget it because I'm optimistic that they finish fourth. I would say bet it just because of what we've talked about. This team's not good at anything. And at least Ugh. the Cubs can rest their morals on, hey, our starting pitching's good and it can compete with us. Maybe Milwaukee dips, but I'm kind of on the Tanner side of things thinking like they're going to keep it intact at least for the rest of this season. So I'm going to bet this one. I mean, unless something improves, you're not good at anything to the point where even the Cubs will outpitch you. Ugh.
I, I think I would bet it too. And I, I think for me is now the Cubs are interesting because it's kind of the same thought process I'm going to have on the Cardinals here. One, yes, the Cardinals aren't good at anything. But at two, if they sell off Jack in Montgomery, what is this rotation going to look like past the deadline? Now, the same could be said for the Cubs because the Cubs could sell. It sounds like Strowman's going to be dealt. That that sounds like something that's going to be happening. What will their rotation look like and can it hold up? It basically comes down to which team's going to pitch better down the stretch and ultimately end up failing to get past fourth place. So I, I'm betting this. I don't see the Cardinals getting out of this basement. I think they finished last in the NL Central. It's brutal. Absolutely brutal to watch right now. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Uh, guys, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will trade one of Goldie or Arenado by the deadline. Let's let's hold off on this. I actually want to get to this on the other Whoa. side. I want to spend a little bit more time on this. Answer. I was already excited. Can you win with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado as your best players? I want to believe the answer is yes. I really do. But I can make a pretty strong case at this point that the answer is no. And we'll get to that coming up on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Those guys take big swings for us, and um, Goldie hit a turn homer today. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't come through in another situation, but we are uh, we'll have a shot at this because of those two guys. So that's baseball. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. You hope you hope that's the case. That was Ollie Marmel after the game yesterday. If Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado are the players the Cardinals believe them to be, and let's be honest. The players that we all believe them to be, they're two of the best hitters, two of the best all-around players in all of baseball. They're top three in the National League in MVP voting last year, and there was no reason to believe coming into this season that it was going to be significantly worse than it was a year ago. And yet, and yet, Alex, if you look at the overall numbers, Paul Goldschmidt's been really good. 872 on base uh, plus slugging percentage. You look at Nolan Arenado, 820 OPS. His OPS plus this year is at 125, which is right in line with what he was two years ago. Unfortunately, when you look at what they are doing with runners in scoring position, a high lever situation, Jamie Rivers is going to kill me. He's going to murder me. What happened? <laughs> it was Rocky. Oh, shoot. It was Rocky. <laughs> Man, his face is red, too, so you know what that means. We'll get back to Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt here. <laughs> Hey, he's flexing his biceps, dude. Did we not have a discussion yesterday? I can see the blood. Did we not have a discussion? I gave you a yellow card yesterday, and I said you don't want the red card. You get two of those before you get the red. Not in my league. So for those of you listening who don't know what the hell is happening right now, uh, my thermostat runs hot. So, man, it gets hot in that room. Uh, it does, PK, and that's why I have a fan in our office that is like eight inches from my body while I'm working here because I can't stand being hot. And what did I tell you yesterday, Alex? You were there. Never mind you right now, Alex. You were there. I was there. Yeah. I, I was very nice, didn't I? What did I say? Probably the kindest I've ever saw you. And what did I say? You to him? said, if you don't mind, 
Next time you use my fan, please put it back by my desk. Yep. And I, I did. And and I I you pulled it back. I arrived today. Rocky was not even here. But oh, that's, no. a, that's a hell of a try right there. <laughs> he, did, he didn't oh, no. think that one through, did he? I've already, I've already circled around here. Okay? I saw you pacing. I was wondering yeah. what that was. By the way, guys, uh, very cute that you guys matched <sighs> Thank today. You. Thank you. Yeah, we, we went Tanner, with the peach. I, I didn't mean, get the memo. I think it's BS they didn't include you I in know. on that. He can't pull um, off peach. T-Bone, T-Bone didn't have the peach at home. So now, at PK, home. you've left me no choice in this matter oh, because no. I gave you the, the the yellow card. I said you don't want the red Tanner, card. Now you got the can red I be card. Honest? Now is your time. So I'm going to pull this closure here for a moment. This is way better than talking about the Cardinals. I don't want to talk about well, them everything anymore. Everything is right um, now. True. We talked about this when I moved the fan this morning. Uh-huh. So we did, Jamie. We <laughs> didn't. He did. Are you a part of this? No. Tanner and I looked at him and said, no. don't do it, man. No, no, no. Let me let me give the full full story here. We talked about how I definitely cannot leave the fan back there because you were going to murder me if I did. You were going to snap me in half, which wouldn't take much. That's for what you. the red card is. And I said I won't do that. But if I did, I would blame it on Rocchio. Huh. But I I said that I wouldn't do it. I legitimately forgot. <laughs> this is full 100% truth. I feel really bad about this. He was this. really hoping Rocchio. I mean, Rocchio technically is still here by this time. He was just assuming Rocchio would yeah. be here. No, I that that's on me. I take full responsibility for ruining I it. expect more out of you, I BK. Know. You I really expect shouldn't. more out of myself. Yeah, you really should I really shouldn't. You're right. I you worked with him for like a year, Jamie. So two, two things happen if I'm going to give myself therapy. an excuse. It's kind of like the 19 games and 19 days type of excuse where like it works but it doesn't really matter oh, now it's not you're real. gonna start giving me cardinals excuses he yeah. works he's he's been working every day 19 straight that's, that's exhausted right. uh well, it must be time for a disney meanwhile trip. the balloon <laughs> the balloon party takes <laughs> off like every four days <laughs> essentially they're like thursday and friday if they're here it's a surprise and so uh today it's also a surprise when we get to our show before 1105 mm. today man now you're just you're going after everybody. Today we got in at like he's, 11.02. He's deflecting. He's ricocheting. He's right like now. Mike Schilt. He's going down with a fight. I was surprised that they were off the air at 11. Uh-huh. And so I had to sprint down the hall to get here as quickly and as possible. there hasn't been possible. one commercial break since then. No, Jamie, yep. I told Again. him too when we walked. I said, hey man, put the huh. fan back. And he you know what he said? He goes, Jamie can do it so himself. now I have to send a message. <laughs> it didn't though, happen. Because now oh, what's no. preventing everybody else in the building from just taking my fan oh, if man. I won't do anything about it? It's fair. Jamie. So your car is currently being towed away. <laughs> sir. Jamie. And to a secret location. Like re- it seems like a reasonable response. I will be leaving you clues daily. <laughs> Did you take a tire off and tell him he's got to fix it himself? That's punishment in himself. He flattened he he took the air out of two tires. Put it up for me. Now uh, it's just on me. It's on yeah, me to put yeah. the tire back on. BK, I'm you've sorry. painted me into a corner. Sorry, Jamie. Into a bad place. Jamie, I'm sorry. James, give him an atomic wedgie. I hate, I hate doing what I'm about to do to you, to friends. <laughs> I'm sorry. Enjoy the rest of your show. Oh, God. God. terrifying. Head on a swivel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. If you hear a ticking... Who do you more concerned right now, me or Ollie? Oh, you. Yeah. You. Well, at least you, all I know is he's got till the end of the year. You, you might not have till the end of the day. You've seen That's The fair. Sopranos, right? Like, if you get in the car, just be hesitant when you turn the key. That's fair. I, I would walk home. If you hear a... T- no, I wouldn't even test it. I'm having Kara pick me up. Yeah, that's what like I would Michael do. Like, Michael Madsen, force your there. pregnant wife to come pick oh, you up. It feels like a better way to go about this than Jamie. It, it, making Jamie mad is worse than making my pregnant wife mad. That is... Clip it. That is... <laughs> Jamie Rivers, I love you and you scare the hell out of me, but that is just false because my nine-month pregnant wife, no way. Okay. I drove in the middle of the night to go to two different fast food places for her. Shit. She scares me. So Jamie's gone now, which is good. Um... 
Oh, yeah, because he's not listening. I did not mean to do that. <laughs> that was 100% there was a lot, an accident. There was a lot of plotting you know, in our pre-show meeting you know about how I'm going to pin this on Rocchio for it to be an accident. You know what's funny about it, though? He's right, because he stood up. We both were in a rush we trying to get in together there. together to hurry but back he down. he walked around the fan to get <laughs> out of his cubicle. So he had to step around the fan to get out of the cubicle. Uh, oh, man. I would be. He's going to murder me. Did you see his face? Yeah, I think his pupils me. blinked two different ways. Yeah, he was legitimately mad. Oh yeah, you're done. Dude. That was real. I think you should try it again tomorrow. <laughs> Ferrari and T-Bone. Come yeah, on, tomorrow. T-Bone, morning. This is this is your chance, man. Too. All right. So normally we would dive into the junk drawer. Well, coming up next, kind of did that. This was the junk drawer, but we need to talk about Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt because. I do think that it's becoming more of a question on if they can be the best players for a championship contending team moving forward. And Mark DeRosa said something about them earlier today on MLB Network that I think all of you are going to want to hear. So we'll go ahead and get into that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Today was our junk drawer. Shout out to Finn Bar and Grill for making that possible. Best trash wings. Love those damn wings. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast page. Jamie Rivers is going to snap me in half. Uh, you can wait. check that out on the podcast page at 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Always but wanted my name first on the show. Alex, <laughs> T-Bone was working or listening to MLB Network earlier today. And Mark DeRosa, who's on there each weekday, was talking about the Cardinals. They were talking about, can, can this team get out of the situation currently? And they basically all came to the conclusion, no, probably not. Like, it's they're probably too far down. Welcome aboard. They essentially are where we are, which is, there's no more answers. It's over. So DeRosa decided to take things a step further. He essentially said, it's not just over for now. It's over forever. What? This thing is gone. It's done. What? This core cannot be something that you continue to build around. Say it, T-Bone. Rebuild! This audio is from T-Bone's TV. So the yeah. quality, like, on a scale of 1 to 10 <laughs> is a solid 2.5. To be fair, I said that when I was asked to record this. And then he recorded it with a video instead of with, you know, audio. So it's even I, worse than it could have been. I just hope there was know, nothing going on in the background Brandon's of pretty this. picky for a guy that couldn't get the audio himself, if I may say so. Well, correct, was because I wasn't watching MLB Network at the time, well, and you were. He was so moving the fan. Here's Mark DeRosa. Try to tune in closely. Audio's tough, but it is good on MLB Network. Could maybe entertain walking up to Nolan Arenado and saying, hey, how bad do you want to stay here? Oh, Do you want to potentially move on and and, and see if we can get a package? Because the way you look at it, even with a Goldschmidt, are they going to back it up for him again? Because you have Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman's not a second baseman. Can we can we stop? You're asking the guy to play second base and 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 be an offensive presence. He's uncomfortable there. He can go to third where he's always been. The Mason Wynn kid's coming. Mm-hmm. Jordan Walker's got to find a spot. Yeah. I don't know if it's outfield. Right. It looks a little shaky out there. Maybe it's first base. They have the young position players: Newt Bar, Carlson, Donovan, Walker, Gorman. O'Neal when it comes back. The the list goes on and on. Where the free agent market for pitching this upcoming year, Urias, 
Nola. Look at this. They can make a run at yeah. Otani, Sonny Gray. You could change your team's entire MO right now. Was Otani and Sonny Gray in the same conversation? That's what yeah, I'm saying. I'm trying to tell you. And who's the guy that said Tyler O'Neill was a part of this core? <laughs> oh, Ron, Darling. Ron Darling. <laughs> okay, Ron Darling. Come on now. So I immediately want to dismiss this outright. Like the idea of the Cardinals saying, you know what, let's just go ahead and rebuild, trade Goldie, trade Arenado. It's ridiculous, right? It's just not happening. Bill DeWitt is not going to allow that to happen. However, however, let's accept the premise for a moment that, hey, this core is not working, which I think you can make a case for. Alex, what does that mean? Like, it, is there a scenario whatsoever where it could make sense for the Cardinals. I, I mean, there's a scenario. It's just everybody's going to have to be on board with the game plan here. I, if you want a blueprint of it, look no further than Doug Armstrong. I mean, you felt like your core was in place when you had Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron as the members of it. And Doug Those said... Those aren't future Hall of Famers, though. They're uh, not, but I, I think that they this... were the best players on the team for a team to win the Stanley Cup and have chances the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, this would be like, though... Uh, but take the Hall of Fame side out of it. I'm going performance-based. Your best players, the guys you rely upon. I do think it's different, though, because like the Cardinals have traded their best players in the past, but trading your best player and trading a future Hall of Famer is a little different. Is that I fair? Mean, you moved away from Jim Edmonds and Scott Rowland. And no, and I, and well, when Edmonds they were, isn't a Hall of Famer, but... And it was like... Cardinals the, Hall of the, Famer, you the jerk. The performance had started to decline with those guys. The performance has, to a degree, declined, but they're still great players. Like the reason why they would even be there would be interest in those these two players is because Paul Goldschmidt just won MVP last year. Nolan Arenado was third in the MVP a year ago. Okay, if you take the names out of it, then and I understand there's Hall of Famers, and then these guys aren't Hall of Famers. But what I'm saying is, if you're taking Doug Armstrong's blueprint, he recognized that. The the group wasn't working. Now, they were pending free agents, and you knew you weren't going to bring them back. Goldschmidt, you still got one more year left, and then Arenado was locked up for, what is it, five more years, four more years? But Doug has said multiple times, we need to move this leadership core in another direction, instill it into the younger players so that they can take this and run with it. It's that transition period. I'm with you. It's not going to happen. Bill DeWitt's not going to be on board with this. You can't move these pieces and say we're still going to compete. But you haven't done a lot of winning with these guys over the last few seasons. And if there's something out there that is going to offset losing those impactful pieces but jumpstart this retool, this would be a rebuild. This would be what, a rebuild. What we're talking about is... I guess it depends it's on... It's not to the same degree of tanking because you already have some core well, pieces that's what that I was you're gonna building say. around. This is a true rebuild, though. You are committing to the next core being Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, uh, probably Tommy Edmond, Brendan Wynn. Donovan, Nolan Gorman, Mason Wynn. Like, you are committing to we are going really young. But if you're going and to... And we're probably not committing to winning next year either. But if you're going to DeRosa's point, he was also stating you're going to spend all of that money on starting pitching. And you're going to go heavy on that I think side that's of wrong. it. I think what he's saying there, that's just flat out wrong. you got to find out if you got the right core first before you start investing big time money yeah. now in pitching. You can't do that. You, you this offseason in this scenario, like maybe Sonny Gray would be an option if he's willing to accept like a two year deal. Maybe you go that route because it's kind of the, the in between period. That's kind of similar to this the past offseason. If they had signed a Nathan Avaldi, 
that I could see. An Aranola, a guy that is coming off of a good season but has been really good for a long stretch of time and is probably getting a six-plus-year deal, you can't do that. Not, not if you're doing what we're talking about because now you're committing to a rebuild and you don't sign those kinds of pitchers this early on in what is going to be a rebuild. And, and I think a lot of people would look at this and look at the Blues scenario too because there's a lot of similarities in what's been going on between the two sides. You go, well, the, the Blues just did that. They trade away what Alex was saying. Ryan O'Reilly, one of their best players, and they let Perron walk in free agency, and they're calling it a retool, not a rebuild. The difference is, is that the Blues have young players that have kind of established themselves in Cairo and Thomas. Uh, he's not established. What is Nolan Gorman? I don't know. It I mean, seems he's played like last month everybody was on board of him being an all-star. Yeah, but you can't, you can't look at Nolan Gorman. You can't look at Jordan Walker and go, okay, this is what they're going to be next year. I don't think you can do that yet. They're not established. Unlike Jordan Cairo, for all his flaws, I can go, yeah, that guy's going to score 30 goals for me. I can look at Robert Thomas. That guy's going to get around 70 points for me. The, the Cardinals can't do that with their young players, and that's why if they were to go down this route, it's not a retool. It is a rebuild in terms of, yeah, you don't really know what your core is. You think those guys are a part of it, but you're not 100% sure of it. And, and that's why, and again, that's why it's not going to happen is because, one, they want to stay competitive, but it would be a rebuild if they'd elected to sell those guys, and I agree with BK. They're not adding a significant starter if they went that route because there's no need to spend that money because you're spending money on guys that would be pitching well for a group of players that aren't caught up with them on the offensive side. My only devil's advocate on this one, and again, I'm not advocating it because you've got an MVP and another guy who plays like an MVP having a bad season. But the devil's advocate perspective of this is at some point, when do you step up to the plate and say, we need to take a step back? Because if you keep doing this and saying, well, it was a bad season and we know Goldie and Arenado are two of the best in the game, let's try again next year. What happens if it happens again next year? And maybe it doesn't. Maybe you get back to MVP form and we're talking about a different. Something happened this season to where those guys went from MVP candidates to two guys that are a part of the problem in that clubhouse. And if those are the main guys and this clubhouse is in shambles right now of guys saying that they're lacking confidence and they're not knowing what's going on and the trust factor isn't there. If you do it again next year, well, now you're one year closer to Paul Goldschmidt where the trade value might not be as high and you're stuck in this same repetitiveness. Like, are you just delaying the inevitable of we might have to go into this rebuild? I, I think the thing that I, why I just would not do this, like I would just, outright reject it is for the same reason and listen it's different because this team won in the postseason but like I would look to the Giants in the early 2010s 2010 you win the World Series the next year you win 86 games and miss the playoffs then you win 94 games and win the World Series again in 2012 then you win 76 games in 2013 miss the playoffs entirely the next year again go back to the playoffs win the World Series with an 88 win team you just get there Get into the playoffs and find out what happens, man. I know people hate it when they hear that from Mo. I'm not suggesting that you build an 88-win team to try to get in. Try to build for something better. Try to build to be a top-two team in the National League. But I don't think because you failed once, it means you will continue to fail in the future. Otherwise, we would have been talking about this with the early 2000s Cardinals, man. They didn't win in 04. They didn't win in 05. They waited until 06 to be able to get that first win in the postseason where they won it all. We're we're talking about a team that, yes, they have failed in the postseason. And yes, right now, this looks horrendous. But 
I'm not just moving off of it, this would be like trading Albert Pujols. It's not to the same degree because nobody's Albert, but it would be like trading Albert after 07. You don't do that. That's that's ridiculous. Yes, the 2007 team failed and there were organizational structural changes that took place as a result of that season. You don't trade the guy that is potentially going to get you through it, though. That's what trading Goldie and Arenado would be. And here's the other thing, because we're getting a ton of texts on Air Comfort Service text line. People saying, well, don't trade both of them. Just trade Goldie. If you trade Goldie, Arenado's going because you sold Arenado on this being a winning team. And if you're trading Goldie, well, you're basically stating that this year's a loss and next year is going to be tough for us. So you're going to lose both of them. And when you get to that point, when one guy wants out, guess what? Your package is not the same anymore because when Nolan Arado, I mean, basically Colorado paid you to get rid of him. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic. I want to also continue to have this conversation coming up at 115. I am genuinely curious for Cardinals fans out there. How are you feeling about this team? If I gave you a few different options, are you frustrated? Are you legit mad? Are you apathetic right now? You just don't care? How do you feel about the Cardinals at this point in the season, given all the losing that we have been watching? We'll get to some of your mic drops on the 101 ESPN app coming up in about 15 minutes. But Jeremy Rutherford comes up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline now to be joined by our friend, the Blues Insider for The Athletic. He's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. Jer, what's good, man? Oh, not too much, lads. How you guys doing? Uh, we're doing all right. So, JR, I want to ask you a question about last blue season because we're having a repeat here in St. Louis. It's deja vu all over again with the Cardinals. It, at what point did you know that the blue season was going to end the way that it did? Yeah, it wasn't uh, as early as you would like to think when you follow the team every single day. I think that uh, years and years of success will kind of skew your belief that uh, you think you can bounce back and things will just automatically come together. I do remember Ken Hitchcock saying years and years ago that you can't carry chemistry camaraderie over uh, through the off season year to year. And, and uh, whether it be roster construction BK or whether it be that chemistry that Ken Hitchcock was talking about, it just wasn't there. And so, you know, I think once Doug Armstrong kind of got alarmed and that was in November uh, you started to see uh, December and January, things just weren't getting better. I think at that point, probably about midway through the year, it's like this might not come together like everybody thinks. Jer, when we talked with uh, Doug Armstrong a couple of weeks ago, you know, we talked about the difference between the team that won the Stanley Cup and this year's team, and he said the maturity factor is completely different. Younger players not understanding the game maybe as well as guys like Steen and Petro who had been around a long time. The one thing when he said that I thought of was, okay, and what they did the year prior to them maybe not being mature enough was they went out there and they found some veterans and Bozak and O'Reilly and Pat Maroon that brought that in. Could they do another offseason like that, or is that maybe two or three years down the road before they try and add to that maturity? Yeah, I think that's going to be a while. That's a great point. You know, I think that that team, and you know, I've written a lot about it last late, lately with uh, this Doug Armstrong series that we're doing, you know, looking back to the years leading up to the Stanley Cup in 2019, you know, they got a lot of scars with those playoff losses to L.A. and uh, Chicago and Minnesota, and they couldn't get over that playoff hump until they got to that point where the team just matured, as you said. 
And then you added some of those guys like a Bozak, uh, like a Maroon, and, and those guys filled in the bottom roles. You already had some of the top guys, and those guys filled in the bottom roles. So you look at this current situation, you know, you've got a top six, you've got a top four defense. You know, could you go out and get those veteran-type guys uh, to plug in the, the bottom lines and the bottom defense to try to mature the team faster. I don't think that that's necessarily possible because you have all these young players ready to come up and assume positions. You've got to get them experience. I just think that the Blues are in a different scenario than they were back then. I, I don't think it's as easy as bringing in a Pat Maroon and all of a sudden turning yourself into a cup contender. They're going to have to play these guys and see what they've got in the system with the assets that they've drafted and acquired. JR, we were talking a little bit earlier today with David Pignota of the fourth period. He, he brought up the possibility of the Blues listening on some of their, their defensemen. And one of the immediate reactions from the audience, I think it's fair, is why would other teams want these contracts? If we're talking about them as bad contracts here in St. Louis, wouldn't they also be bad contracts for other teams? There's a little bit of truth to that. But then you go to the free agency crop this offseason and you look at the defensemen that are available, there's like three pretty good ones, and then it just kind of falls off of a cliff. Do you think we're overestimating how bad those contracts look for the defensemen given what the free agency class is available out there? I think this is a great conversation. I think that you can overestimate how bad they are when you're in St. Louis because there are other teams out there who, you know, would love to have one of these guys to fill in a spot. But here's here's the difference. You know, those teams who might want one of the Blues defensemen are definitely going to be closer. Uh, they're definitely going to be in a position where maybe that one more left shot defenseman, top four type guy can solidify their defensive core and make them an even more cemented Stanley Cup contender. But here's the problem. It's the term on the contract. You know, if you're a team that's in the top five, type top seven, and you have a chance to win a Stanley Cup next year, you might go out and get that defenseman that has, you know, one or two or maybe three years left on the deal. But when you talk about Nick Letty having the least amount of years uh, on his contract out of all these guys, Frug, Pareko, Falk, you know, Nick Letty, three more years left at $4 million each year, all of a sudden that becomes the most attractive option of teams out there. Like these teams who are trying to go uh, cement that defense and make themselves into that cup contender aren't looking to add five, six, seven years. And I think that's where the situation comes into play. Now the AAV is down. Maybe that helps them fit their salary cap even better. Uh, but I just don't think that teams would be interested in that term. That's why I think uh, where Blues fans stand in terms of how do you unload one of these contracts? Jared, when it comes to this Blues roster for the upcoming season, of course, a lot can change with the draft and trades and the offseason. But so many people, the number one question I get asked is, you know, how do these prospects fit into the Blues plan? Zach Dean, Zachary Bolduc, who's had a heck of a season, his final season potentially in juniors. Do you see these guys being... I don't want to say impactful pieces because it's so hard when they're young, but pieces to the team next season. I think that if you look at a Zachary Dean, who the Blues got in the Barbashev trade, uh, I've heard from within the organization that he's got a real shot of making the team out of camp. But, you know, how long does it last? We saw that with Jake Neighbors last year, and then he was up and down. The same could be with Zach Dean. Uh, I, I talked to Zachary Bolduc yesterday. I have a piece coming up to Athletic in the next probably week or so on him. Uh, he's excited about the chance to make the team, but realizes that's not a guarantee. You know, he's another guy who could be up and down. I think these are guys who could potentially be on the roster next year. And, hey, do they score you 10 goals and kind of open your eyes a little bit, Alex? Yeah, I think they can. But I don't think these are impactful guys who next year they're going to score you 20 and they're going to make you 
uh, a more competitive team and you're going to be sitting third in the central because of what these guys are going to be able to do. I just think it's too early for some of these young guys uh, to, to, to do that. So the de- this team is definitely going to have to be carried by the guys who we assume were going to do the job last year and didn't do it. Uh, JR, I did want to ask you something we talked about a little bit yesterday with Craig Berube. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic. We talked about this yesterday uh, with Craig Berube. His assistant coaches, he, he's hoping to fill out this, um, this coaching staff sooner rather than later. Uh, what do you think would make sense from your perspective for them to add to this coaching staff? What should they be looking for? Maybe it's not an individual candidate because it's so hard to project those sorts of things, but what, what kind of qualities do you think their next assistance will bring? Yeah, I think what uh, Doug Armstrong said, you know, you look at the situation with the assistant coaches last year, he brought in Craig McTavish. He was hoping that he was going to be a guy who could, you know, relay some of the quality information he's learned from being around winning teams his entire career to this current roster and it just never got to that point last year because of the way the season fell apart so then you pick up where Armstrong talked at the end of the season about you know guys who can communicate guys who can get to the young players guys who can press the right button so you know I think we're going to hear something uh, really soon on those assistant coaches and I think that uh, what you're going to find is is probably uh, what Doug Armstrong was talking about uh, the, the type of coach who can come in and obviously have a good hand on the X's and O's because they've got to get this defense back up to snuff. You know, it wasn't very good last year. You can point to the the performance, uh, but it's also got to be a system that these guys can play and understand and be successful at. Uh, But the bigger picture, uh, it's got to be a coach who comes in here and is able to communicate and relate to these players and get the most out of them. And I think that's what we're going to see when we uh, get these hires from the Blues. JR, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. There's a great piece by you uh, yesterday that was posted about Doug Armstrong, the early years of his general manager uh, opportunity here in St. Louis. People should go check that out. If you can't find it on The Athletic, be sure to follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. He tweeted it out over there as well. We'll be reading. We'll be waiting for you. And hopefully next week we'll be talking about some of the coaching hires, my friend. Yep, appreciate it, guys. Thanks you a lot. got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic, here on 101 ESPN. Todd Nelson. It's his name. Write it down, memorize it, think about it, and then say, damn, Alex is really good at this. He's going to be as good for the Blues as Dusty Blake has been for the Cardinals. Well, that is incorrect, sir. Coming Dusty doesn't next. even go to the mound. Hey, man, you can take that in any what direction. About Turner you want to. Ward. What about him? We're getting Where better. is he? No, gooder. For as much as I hear the crap about the analytics, there that's what's that's what's ruined in the Cardinals is the analytics. They're, those are the and Turner Ward came on the morning show this offseason and said, "I'm here to help the hitters get gooder." Man, it's not even proper English. And you think that guy's out there just like spewing the gospel of analytics? I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb. Say probably not. Uh, he, he's not the guy, though. He's the Robin to the Dark Knight. You just don't know where he is because you oh, don't hear his name sure. a lot. Yeah, I, I bet he gets the theirs wrong too. For sure, just like you. I, I just for all of the talk about the analytics being the problem for the Cardinals, and they might be a part of the problem. It's totally possible that they're using too many of the numbers. That, like, I will concede that part of the argument if you want me to. Did that hurt? No, I. That's fine. Like, there's a million different things that are going wrong right now. The numbers could be part of it. Like, pregame, there's a million different things that are part of this. Last year, it was all on the hitting coach. It was the numbers nerd that's running the hitting program has doomed this team. Well, the numbers nerd's gone. Now they've got a classic old school baseball guy in that position. And the results are worse. 
And I don't hear a whole lot of people that are clamoring for Turner Ward to be the guy that ends up going. It's just, it's interesting how that happens. How the classic baseball guy gets into that spot. And because it's what we've always known, that's what the hitting coach should sound like. That's what he should be teaching. All of these different things. It's not different. It's not breaking the conventional wisdom. Suddenly he's not the problem. Now it's the guy that's talking about the numbers after the game. It's Ollie. He's the problem. Got to find the analytics guy and blame him. Okay. All right. Coming up next, speaking of the St. Louis Cardinals, what's your level of frustration with this team right now? I put this out on Twitter yesterday. I'm at BK Sports Talk if you want to follow me and uh, vote in this poll over there. Where are you at? Are you still optimistic? Are you frustrated? Are you mad as hell? Are you just apathetic? You just can't even bring yourself to care anymore. That is the worst case scenario for the Cardinals. They don't want you to reach that point of apathy. If you're mad, if you're frustrated, if you're still optimistic, they can capitalize on that. The apathy, though, that seems to be setting in, that is something that they cannot reach. We'll talk about that, give you our thoughts on it, and hear from you on the mic drop feature coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on the 101 ESPN app. How would you describe your feelings to the about the Cardinals right now? Are you optimistic? Very few of you guys out there seem to fall into that I'd criteria. I'd love to meet that individual. That was me until about the last week or two. Are you frustrated? Are you mad as hell? Do you just feel apathetic at this point? I think any of them are reasonable other than being optimistic. There's not a whole lot of reason to fall into that category. Alex, I asked this on Twitter, put up the poll, got about 1,300 votes so far. of the vote, so about 650 of them, say they're apathetic. They've lost all interest. They just don't even find themselves caring. You're not mad anymore after the games, just watching the same thing over and over again and watching history repeat itself. About 27% say they're mad as hell. 20% say they're just frustrated, and they're still 2% holding out hope. God bless you. Gotta believe, big boy. Gotta believe. Alex, where do you fall on that with this Cardinals team right now? Apathy. Uh, I... I actually found it last night sitting there because the game imploded and I don't even think I reacted where two weeks ago, my reaction was, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. But now it's yeah. Makes sense. Like casually just flip to the NBA finals because you knew it was coming. At what point did you get there? Can you remember, like, can you pinpoint a game, a series, a moment where you decided, you know what? Like this doesn't I think even it, bother me. Anymore. I think it was the Cincinnati Reds following the Dodgers win. When they split that series, I said, okay, this is who the team is. And then from there, it just fell apart. Cleveland, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, it just kind of kept building and building. You mentioned the one that, for, that it was for me. It was, was Pittsburgh. Was it Pittsburgh? When they went to Pittsburgh and got swept, I, I found myself after that series being like, okay, well, this was the series. Yeah. This is where you could have potentially got things back on track. This is a team that, that's, at that point, the Pirates were going down, and it felt like maybe the Cardinals could get back on the ascent because they had just had the – two days off and you were thinking, okay, exhausted. maybe it was the 19 games in 19 days. There's at least an out there for them. Even if you didn't believe it, when they lose all three of those games and you lost, you lost them in the fashion that you did, 
Yeah, that that's when I knew, okay, well, this isn't getting better. This is who you are. It's interesting, too. We've made the parallels to the Blues season and how it works, and it does feel like deja vu. But the apathy set in for the Blues also, where it was like, yep, same. But until you got to the point where you started looking at the standings and draft quality, then you're like, okay, now, now the frustration set in because you're finding ways to win. And I'm curious if that happens for fans this season. MLB draft is different than the NHL draft because, of course, you don't really know the names as much as you know in hockey of so many people talking about them but well, the what, other thing is like it's not about the draft in baseball because those guys don't so help long, you right they, they'll it's going to take like four years before you really see them unless you're drafting the top guy and yeah. that is somebody who becomes a stud quickly but my only thought thought with that is like at what point does the frustration in terms of losses go to apathy go to frustration because they're finding ways to win when they've been bad all season long because it kicked in for the blues maybe like september I mean, if they start winning in September, then whatever. But I, I don't think that the draft status is as important in baseball as it is in, in like hockey or the NFL or something like that. Maybe it's not draft. And there's just so many games. Maybe it's not draft, but it's more frustration of like, oh, now you're going to start playing like this. Like if they go on a 17 game win streak in August or September, it's like you guys went the entire season playing this way. And now all of a sudden it's going to click for you. That's where that frustration goes back in the other direction. Uh, let's get to some of these texts. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Where are you guys at in terms of your frustration level? Optimist? frustrated mad as hell or apathetic uh we got this from the 314 guys i'm still mad i'm tired of the entire station defending ollie as well if a team does the little things right to win you credit the manager well when you're not doing them right that is on the manager as well i i think i I have gotten to this point alex and i'm curious your thoughts on this i'm not even defending ollie at this point i just don't know what firing ollie actually changes you're keeping the same staff in place. Like if Ollie is fired, you're promoting somebody from within. That person is already overseeing some aspect of what is failing right now. If you promote, for example, the bench coach, Joe McEwing, he is a part of what their pregame processes are. And so it doesn't actually change anything significant in that regard. If you promote the first base coach, That's part of the base running and defense stuff with Stubby Clap. If you promote the third base coach, remember how often people wanted Pop Warner fired earlier in the season for his uh, sins to home that were way overly aggressive? Like I, whoever the person is that you put in charge of that, you're also going to have the same issues with them that you currently have with Ollie. So I, I just don't think it fixes anything currently. And yeah, it changes the voice, but whoever that new voice is, they're already in the clubhouse. So I. Even if you want them to fire Ollie Marmel, A, I don't think it's happening. So that's probably the first and most important part. And B, I don't think it fixes what we're talking about here because the issues are so great. There are so many of them, and they filter through so many different aspects of the team. Yeah, the only, I mean, the part for me with Ollie is just what you're hearing from the players. And when you're hearing this from the players, there's some sort of issue. But I agree with you in the sense of if you fire Ollie, it doesn't change. You're bringing in somebody who's got a different voice but he's got the same staff in place. Dusty Blake is the one that's dealing with the pitchers on a daily basis. Turner or not. Yeah. Turner Ward is the one dealing with the hitters on a daily basis. If you just fire the fire, the manager, those individuals are still working with the players, but uh, I mean, you can't deny all of this tone around the team right now. Yeah. The tone's terrible. The, The tone's really bad. And then the other thing that I would say is like their worst defense right now, their issue defensively has been all year, their outfield defense. And I think everybody agrees. Willie McGee's really good at his job. 
He's an excellent coach when it comes to the defensive side of things. He's the guy that works with the outfielders. So maybe that's a personnel issue more than it is a specific our preparation is bad type of a thing. It's the same thing that I always said when Mike Schiltz got the credit for fixing their defense. He got the credit for putting the right players on the field. He decided we're going to go with our defensive unit and see where that gets us. That's what he did in 2018, and then it continued into 2019, and the defense turned around. Another thing that happened there, Paul Goldschmidt. They mentioned this on the broadcast last night. They trade for Paul Goldschmidt. Suddenly the infield defense looks a lot better. Why is that? Well, because he's saving you from errors. Those throwing errors that used to take place, Goldie's saving you from those because he's so damn good over at first. So I, I think it's a personnel issue, but let's get move on from that. From the 573, guys, I asked my son, who was a, fi- a diehard Cardinals fan, if he even wanted to go to the game or to go kayaking and fishing. He didn't even think about it. He said, let's go fishing. Cardinals are terrible. That's when I stopped getting frustrated myself. If my son can't bring himself to care, neither can I. Season is over. I think there's a lot of people that are certainly in that line of thinking let's go out to the mic drop feature on the 101 espn app let's hear from tony bk my feelings on this team are definitely uh i'm mad there's a lot of frustration here but it's uh, I'm, I'm mostly confused because there's no reason for this team to be performing this way you know from a talent standpoint <laughs> we have a loaded roster with really great players a couple of future hall of famers and uh yeah, I think the only the only explanation I would have is this there's not much of a buy-in to, you know, a single mentality for the team. I I think a lot of winning is done when the team is bought into their leadership and is ready to run through a wall for them and it it just seems like, you know, this team isn't. They don't buy in and you know, you can see it in the details. It's one of the it's one of the worst Cardinals teams I've ever had to watch. That's true. I mean, if you're over the or under the age of like 60, this might be the worst Cardinals team that you see in your lifetime. Yeah, his chuckle in the middle of that told you everything you needed to know. That's where this team's at. I think what he said there is totally fair. I'm confused by this team as well. When we looked at the roster at the beginning of the season, you could see their light in some areas. Like, th- Yeah, there was a route in which this pitching staff ends up being a problem for them, whether you want to look at the rotation or the bullpen. Um, there were a lot of young guys that they were betting on to have big seasons, but you could see, and it wasn't hard to find a way this team could be really good because of the talent that they have assembled. And you looked at the core in the lineup, particularly there was no reason to believe that they were going to fall off a cliff the way that they have this year. And that's exactly what's taken place. He mentioned the belief, the buy-in, I would use a different word for it. I would use trust. And that's the word that Wilson Contreras used when he was talking with John Denton yesterday after the game, saying he, he doesn't even trust it anymore. And I think he was talking specifically about his own preparation. He doesn't trust that what he's doing is working anymore, which is a broken man if I've ever heard one. I would say that it looks like the team doesn't trust each other right now. I would say that it doesn't look like the guy that's up at the plate with... Nobody on, no outs, down by one in the ninth inning, for example. They don't seem to trust that the next guy, if they get on, will drive him in. And that next guy that gets up, if he ends up getting on, two on, nobody out, they don't seem to trust that the next guy that's coming up after them is going to make a productive out to remove the runners over. And then after that, with runners on second and third with one out, they don't trust that that guy is going to, again, get a productive out to be able to tie the game and potentially put that runner on third with two outs, and then maybe you get a knock that ends up winning you the game. They don't trust each other in that regard. 
I don't know if that's a leadership problem. I don't know if that's a, this team has gone through so many of these spurts where they look the way that they did last night where it just doesn't work. And that's a execution problem. Sometimes a lack of execution can result in a lack of trust that can come from the coach where a coach puts you in a position to succeed over and over and over again, and you fail to execute. And so they no longer trust you in that spot. I think that's what happened with Oscar Mercado. They trusted him to be defensively a quality player in center field. He failed. And so now they do not trust him to be in that spot any longer. They trusted guys to go out there and play specific positions early on in the season in the outfield. They lost trust in them quickly. They lost faith in their ability to do that. Whether that's an Ollie problem or just a result of a lack of performance, at this point, it doesn't even matter where you place the blame. This is the results that we're seeing yeah, on the field right now. It's everybody. And that's the point. Everybody's like, oh, you're still trying to defend Ollie. No, what we're saying is you can take one piece of the puzzle out of this, but the issue is still going to reside there because the trust factor is gone. I mean, you've had multiple guys say that now this season and we're two and a half months in. So to point at a manager and say, well, he's the problem. If you want more trust, you got to get rid of him. That's great, but they're still working with other individuals that are currently on the staff that there are trust issues with. And oh, by the way, they had the same manager last year that didn't have those trust problems. So maybe it's more about the staff around him than it is about the manager. Yeah, it's it's just really hard to explain. And then there's this isn't news, but it is something that we just saw. I want to get to this on the other side. The Cardinals just posted their lineup. If you want to play the lineup game. Go ahead and tune out for the next, like, 30 seconds. The, line, the Cardinals just put out their exact same lineup as yesterday. Yeah, that's, that's they, ridiculous. They changed nothing. And if you're going to get frustrated with Ollie, I think it's over this. He is falling into some of the same traps that Mike Schilt did. And it was some of the stuff that frustrated me about Schilt. And, and to a degree, I understand it. I do. You're going to get through this by Goldie, Gorman, Arenado, and Contreras becoming the hitters that they were, or that you believe them to be. That's the truth. The truth of the matter is this team, it's just like if, uh, I'm trying to think, Alex, if the, the Blues in 2019, they needed their best players to play like their best players. They needed Vladimir Tarasenko to be great. They needed Alex Petrangelo to play at his peak potential. They needed Jordan Bennington to look like one of the best goalies on earth for a five-month period. They needed all of that to take place for them to win at the highest level possible in their sport. The Denver Nuggets, how did they end up winning the championship last night? It was very simple. Nikola Jokic was the best player in the world for this postseason. Jamal Murray made open looks the way that you haven't seen from him or that you would expect out of him. Aaron Gordon was awesome. Michael Porter Jr. was not great for the vast majority of this series, but when they needed it most last night, when the rest of their offense was falling short, Michael Porter Jr. made his shots. The Cardinals need Goldie and Gorman and Arenado and Contreras to come through. And until that happens, we're going to see the same results. So I get it. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, though, because I don't think that you're thrilled about the fact that we're seeing the exact same lineup today that we saw yesterday, that we saw the day before, and we'll get into that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count 
that, that big bang. I mentioned this on the other side. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. 314-399-9646 is the air covered service tax line. The Cardinals have released their lineup. It's the same as yesterday. No changes. Exact same as yesterday. We talked about this early on in the show. Uh, I would have switched it up. I would have been in favor of them saying, you know what? Donovan's going to be leaning off because he's our best option there. But after that, man, throw some names in a hat and see what ends up shaking out. I would have put Walker higher up in this lineup. I would have put Carlson higher up in this lineup. Gorman's been terrible lately. Contreras can't hit his own weight right now. Like it's it's been bad. So I would have switched things up as much as humanly possible going into the, the night, the game tonight. I gave you my full thoughts in the last segment. I want to hear from you guys. Alex, when you see that the Cardinals are just running out the exact same thing once again today, your thoughts are what? Disappointment. Because at some point you can't just keep doing the same thing. Because if you keep doing the same thing, well, minds are going to be the exact same of, oh, bleep, here we go again. Some point you got to look at it and say, okay, guys, let's shake things up a little bit. This is not working. Let's get a different vibe going around this team. Let's switch it up. Let's put... Jordan Walker hitting number two because he's getting on base a lot. You know what? I think it sucks right now, Wilson, and I understand your trust is gone, but we need to put you in another spot so that you can take a breath of fresh air. Let's move you down. Goldie Arenado, we're going to go back to Old Faithful with you guys. At some point, and this is the part that it does come to the manager, you look at it and say, we can't keep doing this same thing because the vibe around this team is awful. And to get out of that, let's shake it up. The only way we can shake it up and switch things up in the batting order. So it's disappointing. Yeah, I I find it a little frustrating because I would have probably done some lineup changes. But look, Ollie's in a very tough spot right now. So I can understand him deciding to ride with the same thing because of what BK said before we went to break. He's living with the guys that need to get going for this team to win. He's going to stick with Arnado Contreras 4-5. Gorman got a hit. The other problem for Ali, too, and it's kind of twofold, is, one, I don't know if there really are answers right now on this roster because so many guys are struggling. So no matter what his lineup combination is, I'm not sure it's going to have much success. And two, the other tough one is the Contreras one. Because of what we've talked about and we led with it on the top of our show today was, Wilson Contreras coming out and saying publicly now to John Denton of MLB.com, hey, you know, I'm lost at the plate. I've lost kind of trust in the process. Like, I'm, I'm lacking confidence. And this is a sign from Ollie. Hey, I believe in this guy. The numbers tell me he needs to be hitting fifth because at some point it's going to break out. When it does, he's going to take off. What message does it send to Wilson Contreras? And we talk about it all the time when he got moved from the catcher position. What does it send to Contreras to Folly today after those public comments goes, yeah, he's going to hit seventh for us today. So I, I don't envy the spot that Ali Marmol is in. I still would have done some lineup changes, but I can understand what he's doing. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We've had a number of questions like this, so I'll just read this one from the 960. Guys, my question is, who do you think is making this lineup, the manager of the front office? Guys, I don't know how many times we have to answer this. I know there's other people that disagree with this. They're just flat out wrong. The manager pay, makes the lineup. The the front office will give their input on guys that they think will give them the best chance to win on a day-to-day basis. The person that writes in the lineup every single day is Holly Marvel. He does it with the consult. He has meetings with his baseball people. He has meetings with his analytics people. He has meetings with his performance department where they tell him, hey, this guy needs a day off. This guy's uh, all of this stuff. They do so collaboratively. We don't come up with our content for the show based on what I want to do day to day. It's based on what the three of us want to do. Now I have a larger input because my name's first on the show. But we, I, I, give, I give me that damn squirt bottle. No, yeah, you yeah. give it to that, me this that's time. That's deserved. 
Oh, he locked it on me. <laughs> Son of a. Son of a. In this scenario, I'm Ollie. It's not Tommy Mattern that's coming up with our content day to day. It's not Mike Ryder that's coming up with our content day to day. Now, do they give us certain suggestions where, like, if we go off the rails and are just completely out of our depth, should we maybe stick away from that stuff? Like, sure, yeah. They'll give us research on what, hey, what plays here in St. Louis? If we're talking about the NBA seven times a day, we're probably doing it wrong here. Maybe that works in Boston right now. Maybe that works in Miami right now, not here in St. Louis. So anyways, I say all of that to say this. Ali Marmol makes the lineup, and you can hate him for it. Totally reasonable. But if you want to get mad at somebody for the lineup today, it's Ollie Marmel. He's the guy that's putting that together. All right. So that, that being said, chest, buddy. yeah, it's just so frustrating, man, because when there's stuff that's just like there's plenty of reasons to be mad about Ollie today. Plenty. This ain't one of them. There's plenty of reasons to say you don't think that he should be the manager of the of the Cardinals. Like you you don't have, we don't have to make stuff up to be upset at the manager for the job performance that he's put out for a team that is currently 13 games under 500. We, we just don't have to do that. I, I don't understand. Anyway, so you're going up against Alex Cobb tonight. Oh, Last great. time that you saw this guy, complete game shutout. Just an embarrassing performance. Oh, man, it's going to be like the Mike Myers near no near no, perfect no. game all over They've again. They've seen him. They're going to hit him tonight. Oh, okay. That's right. They got tape on him now because they didn't have tape on Mike Myers. I am fascinated to see what it looks like this time around. Absolutely fascinated, dude. Because this team, they look like they are zombies. They, they don't even look like they have energy when they're walking up to the plate. It seems like all of them assume that the worst case scenario is going to happen. And now you're going up against a guy who the last time that you faced him, six hits, one walk, four strikeouts, 20 ground balls. And over the course of 109 pitches, completely shuts you down offensively. Wow, he's just got great stuff. Do you think they're going to go up to the plate at any point today with any confidence that that's going to be different this time around? Because I don't. No, especially not the mentality of this team that is talking about lacking confidence and the trust factor's not there. That stems from the prep work that goes into it. And as much as you can say the individual's got to do that work, great. But there are other people that are involved in that. And obviously something's not working correctly enough for you to be like, yeah, we're going to get this guy second time around. It's not going to work that way for you. So, no, it doesn't give me confidence. It yeah. actually makes me more stressed about how it's going to go. <laughs> I I think that's fair. I'm I'm kind of on the same mindset of BK and you of I am fascinated to know what happens. I, I think it's one of two fold. I think they either get shut out and Cobb just deals again tonight or they break out and just beat the snot out of Alex Cobb. I don't think there's a middle ground. I, I think it's one or the other, and I, I kind of lean towards the side of they probably may not even see the bullpen from the Giants tonight. From the 314. Oh, I can't wait for that. BK, you just inadvertently admitted that Ollie Marmel is told what to do. This guy needs a day off. This guy doesn't hit well against this pitcher, etc. Marmol doesn't go against what he is told. Therefore, he does what he is told. It's not wrong. I just... That's deep. If you have information that at 4 o'clock, I-70 is going to have terrible terrible congestion but if you wait till 4 30 that 45 minute drive at four four o'clock is going to take you 15 minutes uh-huh. what do you do you take, wait until 4 30 right nah, so you man. don't have to stick in the car for the 45 minutes it's this you end up getting home the same way same time either way no man I but in one scenario it. it takes you 45 minutes to get there and in the other you can stay where you're at for for 30 minutes and then it takes you a 15 minute drive that's information. That is information that you will be utilizing that is at your fingertips. 
That is not being told what to do by anybody else. That is you receiving information, deciphering that information, and then implementing it into your plans. That is the entire job of being a manager. Whether you're doing that via the use of analytics, your gut, or your doctors, like whomever you are taking information from to utilize in your day-to-day operations, that is the job. That's that's everything that you want, whether it's Mike Sosha or Bruce Boshi or whoever your favorite manager is, Joe Madden, they all do this. And if they don't, they're literally not doing the job. This is what Craig Berube does for the Blues. He will take into account what he's hearing from his assistants, what he's hearing from his medical side of things. Yes, indeed, what he is hearing from the analytical people, and then they implement the game plan accordingly. Alex, in the playoffs, we heard from some people, hey, this goalie can be um, exploited in this specific area. What do you think that is it from? Do you think that's just like I hey, a Ruby random gut feel? Fly. Yeah, I thought that's what Ruby did. It's from it's from numbers. It's from oh. advanced no, it's scouting it's and gut. analytics. It's gut, BK. And it is combining the two to decide what your game plan is going to be. So, yeah, he listens to the information that he is told. And that information is only as good as the players that end up going out there on the field. It is. This game ends up being about the men, not the machines. Totally agree with that. But the information to put your players in the best spot possible, that's why TLR is a great manager. It's why Bruce Bochy is a great manager. It's why Snitker is a great manager for Atlanta. We'll see if Ollie's a great manager. He might not be. He might end up being the guy that ends up falling for all of this. Maybe he will. But this... Some of the the criticism of him, guys. We don't we don't got to reach. It's not necessary right now. This team's too bad. They do too many things that are poor to pretend that some of this stuff that we're complaining about right now is exclusively on any one person. Mo, Ollie, Dewitt. It, there's enough blame to be passed around. We'll get to the BK and Ferrario rewind coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. to score a pair of weekend passes for the Evolution Fest. I'm excited about this. August 26th and the 27th is taking place in Forest Park. See Brandy Carly, the Black Keys, Black Crows, Ice Cube, many more at the Evolution Festival. Both weekend and single day passes are available right now. You can check out details at 101ESPN.com or right now, 314-399-9646. If you are texture number 101, you're going to win a free pair of passes to the Evolution Festival. Here's what you got to do. Tell us who almost snap me in half earlier today now there may have been multiple people but this is the one that we talked about on the air who was the person that nearly snapped me in half during the junk drawer today if you've got the correct name for that in your texture number 101 you are getting the pair of weekend passes for the evolution festival alex will finish today by previewing tonight's game jack flaherty alex cobb on the mound tonight san francisco giants in town for game two do you think tonight looks any different than yesterday did Lineups nope. the same. So yeah, I was gonna say lineups the exact same. You got a different pitcher on the mound. I, I'm, 
I expect Jack Flair to continue what he's had success with, but no, I I expect the same thing. I expect this offense to struggle, and I expect that even if they do get up, it's going to be a close game because that seems to be the sentiment with this team. So I kind of ex- I would expect them to win this one because everybody's saying they're going to lose, but I expect it to be a really close one. Yeah, I, I kind of get the same idea there. I, I think they win tonight. I think it's close. I think it's like 2-1. I think it's one of those that you're going to be sitting there the whole game going, oh boy, they're going to find a way to lose it, and somehow they win somebody's going to come up in the clutch probably goldschmidt he's the only guy that can hit on this team so no, they're moving him we down. saw that last night that worked out no, really no, he's well gonna ha- he's gonna make up so for the grounder today. to the yeah, exactly. second baseman good looking uh, forward to it to the pitcher i Kisner expect nothing bomb. different I, I don't know how i can expect anything different at this they're point. gonna pinch hit kister yeah he's Ooh. better than their starting catcher right I now think he's got the highest lps on the team in the last month yeah well, he's, he's got one of the best wars on the team so. he should probably be starting more often right now but you already played that card earlier wow. this season when you decided yeah. that wilson Contreras was no longer 80, going to be your catcher 87 and a half million dollars says he won't we will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. God, am I hoping that this team wins tonight because I do not want to do the same show again tomorrow. <laughs> we'll be here either way from 11 to 2 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.